Oh man, hey there folks, what do you know? It's the Uticast episode 285. We are 18 shopping days from Christmas. Uh, so I brought you all a special gift. The return of our good friend from the Rome Sentinel, Ron Klappenstein, who's joining the pod for... God, this is, he's almost a recurring guest at this point. Uh, also this week, we'll talk a bit about New York stuff. We'll talk about term limits in Utica. We'll talk about uh, the national coverage that Tenny and Brindisi is getting. We'll talk about Warner Brothers and their new movie model. Uh, and we'll talk about uh, marijuana, uh, marijuana potentially being more uh, accepted, at least for now. Uh, also this week, we'll talk about history lessons. We'll talk about Bob Dylan. Uh, we'll talk about some stuff for us, some stuff for you, some mailbags, some history lessons, all of this, folks, and so much more. As always... We're getting toward the end of 2020, but it is imperative we remind you how happy we are to argue with us. Episode 285. I, of course, am here, your host, producer, Sam Pamelaro, joining mm. you, as always, along with my co-host, co-producer, executive mm. producer. Associate producer. Associate producer. The I've been demoted. <laughs> I've demoted myself. I've demoted myself to a lesser production role. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Sullivan is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kev, how's how's everything going? Uh, good. Good. Life is alright. You know, good. we're hanging out. Mm. We're hanging out. Uh... <laughs> Sometimes when we do this show, we start talking about stuff that I want to talk about on the air, so I have to, like, rush onto the air. Mm. And you were just mentioning that you, last night, watched the very topical 1995... Watched about 70% of it, and then I was tired, and I was like, oh, I've seen enough. <laughs> well, you watched about 75% of the 1995 American medical disaster film, Outbreak. Right. Starring Dustin Hoffman, Renee Russo, Morgan Freeman, Donald Sutherland, Cuba Gooding Jr., Kevin Spacey, and Patrick Dempsey. Forgot about Kevin Spacey. I forgot about Patrick Dempsey. We, we I all forgot, forgot about Donald Sutherland. We all forgot about Kevin Spacey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what were your What were your immediate thoughts watching Outbreak in the pandemic times? So I've seen this movie before. Yeah. No one. Yeah. Um, it's not as relevant as with like when when the pandemic started. It was like oh, like Outbreak. It's not re- not really like yes, there is a disease. Yeah. That they're trying to contain, but it's more of like an Ebola style thing and like somebody is spreading it and like, you know, government secrets and that kind of stuff and like intrigue between scientists. Not like contagion where it's much more like, oh yeah, there's this flu-like virus actually spreading. You know what I mean? Sorry, I'm looking at the poster and the poster is just Dustin Hoffman's head above Rene Russo's head, above Morgan Freeman's head, next to a picture of a screaming monkey. Yes. Which is, of course, the outbreak... Uh, supplier in this movie. Yes, the monkey is the outbreak carrier or something along those. I mean, listen, you know, there's there's all sorts of things. But yeah, the monkey's important. The monkey's important. Mm-hmm. I kind of think we should stop the show, watch this movie <laughs> right now together, and then come back and finish this. Well, segment. No, the reason <laughs> the reason I bring it up is when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I remember somebody asking me what the scariest movie I'd ever seen was, and being a little kid not knowing any better, I said Outbreak because I had seen it as a kid and it scared me. Yeah, yeah. Right, I would have to have been like ten or eleven. I gotta say they do for the the hemorrhagic fever where the people are bleeding out. They do some really um, convincing effects for that. I feel like Contagion did sort of step on Outbreak's block though, as the more topical, newer 
better ensemble disaster. Different kind of movies, right? Yeah. Like, they're, they're different. Well, they're both ensemble movies, though. They both have huge casts of actors in, like, these, like... No, Out- Outbreak just feels like an ensemble movie, because a lot of those names went on to be people. But in 1995, right. Right. no, it's not. Like, Kevin Spacey is not really a star in yeah. this movie. He's, like, an extra guy. Cuba Gooding Jr. is practically a role player, you know what I mean? So it's not like this is some ensemble like that, because most <laughs> of these names you see were not that big when this movie was made. <laughs> you were telling me beforehand, Dustin Hoffman, not good in this it was movie. terrible. <laughs> Phoning ter- it in! I've, no, beyond, beyond phoning it in, because he looked like he was trying, but I've never oh, seen man. I've never seen an actor be so emotionless. It was crazy. I'm trying to think of a movie where I've seen an actor really, like, just phone it in. And it's usually, like, a big actor dumpster diving in a lower movie. Mm. Right, like a Marlon Brando in, like, um, in Island of Dr. Moreau or something. Although, that's probably a bad example, because he was no, super extra in that movie. Like, oh, I got one. So there's an HBO movie. <laughs> I don't even know if it's an HBO movie. I watched it years ago. It's called The Sound of Thunder. And it's produced by Edward Burns. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially a takeoff of the, the story, Distant Sound of Thunder, about people mm-hmm. who go back in time to hunt dinosaurs and then change the future of the world. And what happens in this movie is after the setup, for about ten minutes, Ben Kingsley shows up mm-hmm. as, like, the evil corporate owner of this business and it's just like Jesus, Ben Kingsley. You did not. You didn't need to do this, buddy. You didn't have to, you didn't have to do this. I know you're friends with Edward Burns, but you didn't need Talk to make this. That. Oh man, yeah, outbreak! Great. I I am a big fan of like a '90s, mid to later '90s era, just like burner thriller mm. like this, where like it's not that good, but like you know the actors. No. And it reminds me of like being in the video store when I was a little kid. It's that kind of movie for me, for sure. Uh, Much like Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, Volcano. Or Dante's Peak, which are both kind of sim... Mm-hmm. Si- which of those is the better one? I forget. Dante's um, Peak is Brosnan. Is Brosnan and Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton. Um, oh, wow, Linda Hamilton. A different... Different again. Um, much like Armageddon <laughs> and Deep Impact were different films. Uh, came out around the same time because they were popular. I kind of... better you would get a bigger kick out of Dante's Peak... Probably. Am I? Dante's Peak is a gnarlier movie. It's definitely got the worst stuff to see. Am I in the minority of people who never saw Armageddon but saw the other one? It was like Deep Impact. Like, as someone who's uh, never seen Armageddon, only kind of familiar. Yeah, I'm surprised just because Armageddon was so big. I, Deep Impact, I think, is better. Is much better for my money. Oh, see, I think Tay Leone also phoned in that movie. Oh, she's great. No, I don't like her. Oh, she's great. I don't like her no. actress, but... <laughs> her and William H. Basie both phone it in in Jurassic Park 3. If you want to watch two actors not trying, go watch Jurassic Park 3 and look at Sam Neill, William H. Macy, and Tay Leone, because they have all checked out before that movie is over yeah, with. Yeah. Uh, all right, so a nice five minutes on weird movies we watched this week. Um, joining us this week for episode 285 is Ron Klopfenstein, who we've had on the show multiple times. We're happy to have him. I'm going to have to ask him about what we just saw on TV, though. Because Ron, of the Rome Sentinel, you may know him from there, mm-hmm. is also, as we found out in the show many times, a big-time soap opera fan. Loves soap operas. Young and the Restless. Bold and Beautiful. Really? General, loves them. Hmm. Big-time follows. There you go. So I'm going to have to ask him about what we just witnessed, which was a silent soap opera where there seemed to be some sort of... It wasn't silent. I think the volume was just off. The volume was off. The volume was off. <laughs> right, no, we, it wasn't, yeah, that we wasn't were some silent it. show flip. We were not really watching you. That's not... That fully misrepresents, so don't say that to this man, because then he'll have questions for you you won't be prepared to answer. What happened 
was the room was walked through when the TV was left on silent and a soap opera was coming on and we saw 30 seconds of some man acting wild. Yeah, what I thought I saw was him looking at what appeared to be a sex doll on the couch mm. and really like breathing deeply and stressing him out about what he was seeing. It I had no con- no contact. It was strange and it could have been anything because who knows what was on. But you can always tell by uh, the quality of the camera. That is correct. Ask him about that. Ask him why the cameras always look different. Yeah, what's up with this? Uh... I was going to talk about our best of Spotify 2020, but I guess we'll wait till the end because we're talking about Spotify stuff at the end. Mm, okay. People sharing their Spotify stuff, including us, all over the internet this week. Sure. Showing off their, their hits, and we'll yeah, talk yeah. more about that later. I have two things. Well, three things that are quickly on my mind before we get to this week's uh, news incarnate, right? Mm. Okay, so the first thing that I wanted to bring up is about a scam that I read about this morning. I'm seeing okay. people falling for on mm. Amazon. My first question right. for you is this. My guard is up. I'm ready. Have you ever heard of a Faraday cage? You know what a Faraday cage is? Yes. So for folks who don't know, Mm -hmm. a Faraday cage is an enclosure that you use to block electromagnetic fields. It goes all the way back to the 1800s, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Apparently, conspiracy theorists and crackpots have been buying Faraday cages to put over their Wi-Fi routers to block the 5G, right, from getting into their brains, Uh right? Uh-huh. But they're, but they're also storming Amazon in protest because, hear me out, it's blocking their Wi-Fi signal so they can't get on the internet. To which I say, yeah. I, of course. This what? is, here's, so many problems today <laughs> in our society, my friend Sam, are caused oh, by the fact that, do you remember in like, and we're, we're just about old enough, you know, we're about the right age to remember this, do you remember like in the late 90s and early 2000s when you would talk to, to your parents or like your friends' parents or aunts and uncles, adults of that age range, mm-hmm. and you'd talk to them about something having to do with computers or Wi-Fi or the printer or the email or whatever's going on. And they're all like, I don't really know about computers. These things are confusing. Ugh. I don't need computers. I don't need to learn about computers. I don't know nothing about computers. This is the end result of that that gleeful, <laughs> willful ignorance of like, how can I ever possibly learn about computers? I'm 46, lol. Because those people are not 66 and never did that work, that's why stuff like this happens. So... I mean, this is, like, the perfect level of, like, I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I'm also not smart enough to, like, Google things that I believe, right? I believe that the 5G is coming to get me, but I didn't take the time to I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I'm not smart enough. I feel like you could have drawn the line. Just right there, yeah, right there. Like, to be fair, there's various things that people would say are conspiratorial, you know, that that I believe in or different thoughts or things like that, I guess. But, yeah, a lot of this, like, mainstream, dumb, like... 5G world is flat Q stuff that's yeah, yeah. you could have just said I'm a conspiracy theorist and also not that smart uh, one star the Wi-Fi signal decreases with the box closed I would be returning this item my Wi-Fi signal is not strong enough anymore yeah what do you what did you think the Faraday cage was you didn't know did you oh man none of these people knew I tell you what I wish that I had less of a conscience so I could grift some money off these like idiots and rubes but I could never do it like in good conscience I just couldn't I wouldn't be able to I wish I had the ability to like want to debate stuff like this with people on the internet because I don't right oh this debate do you know what I'm saying like if I put this story on Facebook like if I was like oh look at these idiots who fell for this Faraday cage scam yeah yeah 
that would require me to then spend the next hour navigating comments, which I Correct. refuse to do. I'm just Correct. not going to. Right? That's right. When's the last time you see me post a damn thing? That's because that's, that's my same thing. If I post something that I, and especially if it's something that I firmly, that I have firm beliefs in, and I know will garner opposition, I feel like it's my responsibility to reply to that opposition. Now at that point, right. You're spending hours angrily typing up paragraphs to your thumbs. Not for me. Well, you know what got me with it, I think, is back in the day, I would, like, type up what I thought would be, like, a well-rounded response to something. Be like, yes. I'm not going to shit on this person. I'm not going to, like, call him an idiot. I'm going to, like, come up with, like, the, you know, the clever, morally appropriate, like, nice way to do this. Yeah. And then you'll spend 20 minutes doing that, and then they'll respond in 30 seconds with, like, oh, Lived hard. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then I've wasted my time. <laughs> and then I wasted my 20 minutes. So yeah. what are we even doing here? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But that's why I don't... It's, again, an example of why I don't post mm-hmm. any of this stuff. Uh, folks, with 18 shopping days left to Christmas, you can mark off Faraday Cage as a gift that I do not want. Don't give mm-hmm. it to me. I don't need it. I want the 5G. Give me the 5G. I'm hoping it gives me superpowers. I hope I become 5G man. And then yeah. I can... Uh, I don't know what that would do for me. Mm-hmm. I can connect to the internet very quickly. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's here's my rule. You're you're not allowed to come to me and tell me that you're concerned about 5G if you can't explain to me 5G exactly how it works and also explain to me 4G, 3G and what the difference is between those things. If you can't explain that all, maybe you're just scared of what you don't know. That's I can barely I can barely un- explain why our internet has both a 5G and a regular login like that, is, that doesn't make sense to me either like mm. even that so that's where mm-hmm. i am in terms of all this i see uh, let's uh let's get into some uh new york stuff how about some Ooh, new york love stuff? it new york new york oh people about to get mad king cuomo was back on the news oh, today damn king cuomo, what do you do <laughs> well no he's just back on essentially do? saying they're starting a new uh scheduling of briefings for coronavirus every mm. monday wednesday and friday for the foreseeable future uh these are some of the quotes today though from governor cuomo uh, if we don't get this virus under control and hospitals are overwhelmed, then we have to shut down. It is an absolute reality of the situation. There are certain absolutes. You cannot overwhelm your hospitals. Uh, you can't overwhelm your hospitals. He just says it over and over again. <laughs> if you're at a rate that's going to overwhelm your hospitals, you must shut down. Uh, again, you look at the numbers here, 4.75% uh, positivity re- uh, rates across the state. Uh, 150,000 plus ni- uh, COVID-19 tests were conducted on Sunday alone in the state. Mm. Um, I keep, maybe I'm in the minority here. I keep waiting for them to shut everything down. I keep waiting. I, keep, I think every day is going to be the day where they like oh, reshut everything down. I don't think, I don't think that's the minority. No, I don't I, think I so. Think, I think a lot of, everybody I've talked to is like, yeah, it's just a matter of time, just a matter of time. Um, which, and you know, it's going to have to be. Listen, I, I live in New York State, right? So I'm I'm well aware that every mm-hmm. problem in my life um, is Andrew Cuomo's fault. I know that because I live <laughs> in New York, true. right? So I know that every bad thing that's ever happened to me can be directly blamed on Andrew Cuomo. Um, but with that being said, I think at this point, with the way that cases are rising, just talking to people I know, you know, in healthcare, including, you know, like I, I, I talk about sometimes, you know, my own sister, who's a respiratory therapist, whose, like, specialty is specifically where this field intersects, mm-hmm. right? Um, I talk to these people about what's going on, like you see what's happening and all this stuff, and everybody wants to get all, you know, indignant and and false righteous about, you know, oh, we just gotta, you know, like revolt, or oh, we just gotta go out there, oh, isn't this silly, or isn't this limitation, this restriction silly, and just because people don't see it in their day-to-day lives, locked up in their house, they think it's not happening, but like, let me tell you, like, 
for the people who are out there looking at it every single mm-hmm. day, those people are very, very clear-eyed about what's happening out there. And those people, you know what I mean, again, those are the people we should be listening to, well, you know. Uh, I, actually, it brings up a really interesting point that I read. I read an article this morning, and uh, I don't really talk about the Unique Phoenix much on here, but they wrote a really interesting article today from Iman Hansel, uh, basically talking to MVHS healthcare workers who were talking about how exhausted and scared and struggling they are. Uh, they ran some numbers. Do you know that there's only, like, one hospital bed for every 362 people in this area? Yeah. So, like, a big argument mm-hmm. here is about whether we actually have enough facilities. We don't. We don't. There's yeah. no argument. Yeah. That's not an argument at all. We don't. A lot of people just don't know because they don't ever have to think about it. Mm. You know what I mean? And people also talk about, like, oh, well, there's such a small chance of me dying. I don't care. All the mortality. Here's the thing. If people go in and there's and the place is overrun with these critical patients and these folks that need to be hospitalized for COVID... That means different stuff like folks who have to go in, folks who have to go in there for other reasons, you know what I mean? Whether yeah. they're running in there because of a car accident or because of, you know, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis or any sort of like wild thing that pops up to people where they might have to get rushed into the ICU, those people suffer too. So, you know, it, it's tough for folks to look outside of themselves, not have that self-centered worldview, but like, I mean, this stuff just seems so clearly black and white to me that... I you know you know you know it's frustrating because we talk about it privately. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> well, I think you know it's um, I have a lot of like little questions about stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So like, here's an easy, here's an easy one. I'm sure someone out there could help me. I need yeah. to go to the dentist at some point in time. I got a mm-hmm. scheduled dentist appointment. Mm-hmm. Are they going to let me into the dentist if I haven't gotten a COVID test? Because if I haven't, why mm-hmm. would they let me in? Why would they say, yeah, come in and infect our our building, right? They, yeah, like, they might do for, I'm not sure, I bet each dental place has their own protocol. Or, yeah. uh, they might do something, I'm sure they temp you at the door, but yeah, if you could bring like a, a rapid test with a negative, they might let you in. But yeah, it's a good question. There's a lot of stuff like that. People yeah. don't know. <laughs> and then there's a lot of like little nuanced things like that that I'm sure everyone faces in their daily life is just like that, like these little mm-hmm. things I think about. Same thing, I need to go get new contacts. I'm like, who's going to let me come in there mm-hmm. and get this close to my face and be like, can you see? Right? Like, I don't think anyone wants to do that in today's today's day. Uh, so, yeah, I got this really good article by the Utica Phoenix. I won't read into the whole thing. But it's by Amon Hansel. It's called MBHS Healthcare Workers Are Exhausted, Scared, and Struggling. Mm. Say the nurses. Pretty good read. Love to see it. Love to see anybody in any kind of journalism talking to folks locally. You know what I mean? And not just, I understand that, you know, there's budget realities for mm-hmm. other newspapers and stuff like that where you just pick up the AP wire and go with it. But always love to see people talking to actual uh, folks in our community for an extensive story like that. So shout out to them. I don't know if I told you this last week in the pod or if I said it off the air to somebody, but I mm. predicted that by the time we got to the podcast this week, mm. the Claudia Sani, Anthony Brindisi stuff would be getting national coverage. Mm. I'm going to pat myself in the back here because I've seen at least three articles today, mm. both from the New York Post, uh, the Was- uh, Wall Street Journal, and this one from Politico talking about the strange and complicated way this New York House rematch has been playing out. Mm. Uh, again, I don't want to dig into every single detail because I'm sure a lot of people have been following what they're calling Sticky Gate. Mm. But with a vote that's this close, it's really going to feel super contentious where every vote that they try and fight for is going to matter. For sure. Should we be embarrassed? Like, as our our district, for the way this was handled, that we're going to be like uh, a national it's, story it's, now? It's not about our district. It's uh, New York State specifically is not excellent at running... Uh, the language has become so heated and so many yeah. people are saying, hang on, but the like, language has become so much heated and so many people are saying so much wild stuff now that I would like to be careful and and couch it a little bit what I'm saying, but New York State is not incredible at handling their elections as far as the, the counting and the rules and the uniformity of it and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like different like little fiefdoms all over where people do it in different districts and counties. 
and New York is not super well regulated at the state level to yeah. be kind of top down and run things more smoothly and more efficiently. You know, we saw issues in the primary where it took a long time and yeah. stuff was kind of all over the place. Sort of a, uh, a too many too many cooks in the kitchen situation. Uh, well, the state supreme court justice Scott uh, Del Conte, who's overseeing this process, has apparently been really u- upset with the quote primitive office supplies, spreadsheets, and staples that different counties have been using to keep pro- uh, keep the process in check. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost like we need some sort of overarching election like law. <laughs> well, it's almost, and it's like also you know not for nothing. Hello, you know, and not to become the Facebook comments here, but like. Yeah, we need places need more money outside of just like yeah, I know, you know, Albany and downstate and Buffalo, you guys are surprised that we have primitive office supplies, but come out to some of these county offices in Red New York, you know what I mean? And yeah, it's you know, there there should definitely be a little bit better infrastructure. We certainly have the money for it and you know, hopefully now that things have shifted a little bit in the in the state assembly and you know, the state congress, we can make a couple more moves in that direction to try to ensure that elections run a little more smoothly. And it's a little bit easier for people to vote here in New York because we're a leader in this country on so many things. You know, as much as some folks would say it's the worst state in the union and you <laughs> yeah, know, they it's will. terrible. They'll tell and, you that. You know, and I do understand that I don't like the fact that, you know, Governor Cuomo has declared prima nocta over every new marriage it's that true. happens in the state. But that's just the price of paying business, you know. <laughs> so people will tell you it's terrible here or whatever it is. But we're a leader in so many ways that it is kind of silly and embarrassing that this is something that we just haven't taken the time to streamline and run more efficiently and run in a more New York manner, you know. <laughs> Uh, I also want to follow up on one last piece of local news. And this is from November 15th. We had our good friend, uh, Councilwoman Celeste Friend, on mm-hmm. the podcast, no pun intended. Uh, and it was on the 18th of November that she uh, introduced legislation that would restore term limits from eight, uh, to eight years as opposed to 12, which changed in 2017. Mm-hmm. So this finally came to uh, earlier this week. And the outcome is there will be term limits, uh, which will stop people at eight years. Mm. Unless... Mm-hmm. You uh, unless you, their pension is at stake. <laughs> no, unless essentially the people who would be in their second term now, mm-hmm. uh, which would be Comptroller Bill Morehouse, Council Members Mark Williamson, uh, Maria McNeil, and Jack Lamedico, this would allow them to all run for a third term because they are grandfathered in. Yeah, that makes sense. Now people are mad about this, mm-hmm. and I understand it too. But here's where my thought is: right, isn't this kind of politics? Like, yes, I find it weird that these four people will get, like, these grandfather claws, but isn't that the compromise you have to go through to get the term limits you want? And to probably get the votes from those folks, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I mm-hmm. I can see where people are like, oh, it's bullshit that these four people are going to, like, take advantage mm-hmm. of this system. But, like, I I don't know. I always go back to the Henry the, the Henry Clay thing, right, the great compromise. Like, a mm-hmm. good compromise means that both people kind of walk away with... Well, I think, and I think that people, I think you're spot on, and I think yeah. that people forget... Uh, because things are so are so are polarized on a yeah. more national level mm-hmm. and on a more large mm-hmm. congressional level, and there's a lot more like dug in, just oppositional stuff happening. Um, I think people forget that on a local level, something like this, uh, th- this is what it's about. You know what yeah. I mean? This is getting the compromise. Because if I'm if I'm one of those people who you know gets grandfathered in under this thing, and I would look at it and I'd be like, well, listen, I understand what you're saying here, but I also feel like if I vote for this. It's going to kind of screw my plans that I mm-hmm. had. So I'm not against this in the spirit of it, but I've, you know, I plan the next two to three to five years of my life based around trying to continue to serve out in this role, and I don't want to scrap my whole plan. 
So you find uh, something like this that works, you know? What I didn't like was sort of the argument that was being made that, like, if people don't like term limits, they can just vote people out of office. I'm like, that's... No, that's no, terrible. It's that's, stupid. That's, that's, that's stupid. That's no. garbage. That's a bad... That's, a, that's disingenuous. That's just a disingenuous argument. We don't really like it. You know what I mean? Uh, and I wanted to share a national story with you because I, really, I thought the story was really interesting. Uh, former presidents Barack Obama, George mm-hmm. W. Bush, and Bill Clinton have volunteered to get the COVID-19 vaccine on camera. Yeah. To promote public confidence in the vaccine safety once the U.S. Food and Drug Administration authorizes one. Yeah. My question for you, I love this, by the way. I think this is great. Of course. My question for you is, are these the three best people we could think of to get a wide variety? A lot of people are going to not say, screw Obama or screw Bush or screw Clinton. Like, these are not super popular folks. That's why you get all of them. Well, I was saying, could you, who's somebody you could get out who could, who's, is there someone you could pick who would get out to more people? Right, then all three of those folks together. Like, I sound stupid, but like, would you need Trump up there to do it? No. I, I know that he wouldn't do it, but like, theoretically, like, no. I don't think George H. George W. Bush getting the COVID vaccine on live television is going to let like Republican people be like, oh, yeah, now I think we should get the. Because they're like, oh, he's. He'll a, have a lot of the older ones. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the young, like, madman, like, proud boy culters that you see. Right. I saw a dude, yeah, literally yesterday. <laughs> That's oh, God. Yesterday oh, no. on Court Street going past the Stewarts. And I'd seen this dude a bunch during the election. He's a young cat, probably not even 30 years old, with his two giant Trump flags and his Trump hat. And it was like 2 o'clock on a Sunday. And I'm just like, what are you? Come on, man. You poor guy. Um, no, I, it doesn't help to add. No, it doesn't help to add him to the proceedings, I don't think. Yeah, this is enough because for the people who really need to be reached by this. Are the people who will still have, um, who have a little more reverence and more past and more remembering for these people too, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, an actual memory of these folks' presidencies yeah. and stuff like that, you know? I was just trying to figure out, like, I know it sounds stupid, but like, would somebody like The Rock reach more people if The Rock did this? The Rock would be helpful. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, don't, I don't mean it like in a... For the type of people who take celebrities more important, I guess you would get some of those people, yeah, but no... Some celebrity, just because they're known, doesn't carry the same gravitas as a former president of the United States. No, I know that. I yeah, just, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to think of, like, broadening the spectrum of people who would be willing to do it to, like, promote it for other people. Yeah, right? definitely. How do you mm-hmm. move out into a larger spectrum out of just There's these There's a lot of people. Do you, know, do you know what would be helpful, actually, for a lot of these folks? Uh, you know, you talk about who, who would help. I don't, I don't think, you know, Trump, because that just kind of muddies to have him involved in any way. Um, a lot of these Fox News personalities, though, mm, Hannity. A lot of they really though, yeah. if they could get if if they could get those folks. I mean, that's different because those people have been lying about it for months and months yeah. and months, and they could never do it. But then again, I mean, they can flip whatever they want. But if they went out there and they're like, "Yeah, look, we're doing this too. We're here," that would be helpful to a lot of folks. It would you have know, to. Be, I think it's silly and it's gross that it would come to that, but that I can't deny to say that would be helpful. It would have to be one of the evil trifecta. It couldn't be like Chris Wallace or someone on like Morning Fox. It would have to be like Hannity or. Carlson or Judge Janine or something, right, yeah. or whatever. But yeah, I don't think any of them would be willing to do it. <laughs> no, but yeah, I don't. Know. I thought this was really interesting. I don't know. If there's anyone you guys could think of that you feel like would reach a broad audience, I was trying to think of people who like would be. There, well, there is a notion. I think the move would be to to branch this out, and you start with these presidents. But mm-hmm. if it's still a sticking point for people, or for whatever reason, um, you could definitely branch out into various coalitions, right? Like, say, if I was getting an organization together, I'm like, all right, we'll get some athletes to reach the sports fans, get some musicians to reach the mm-hmm. these, you know, get some this for that. You could get into some of that. I mean, it's honestly, it's it's so sad. 
It is. That, like, we have to find a way to trick people into thinking it's safe. Did you also see they're talking about offering people 1500 bucks if they get the vaccine? Hmm. I mean, that like, giving money talks. Bucks. Yeah, yeah, which is, like, it, it's also wild and sad, but, like, also, I'll take $1,500 for sure. I'm not scared of vaccines specifically and, like, having yeah. read about this vaccine and how this one works because, like, you know... Not, yeah. not to get into all that yeah, stuff, no, yeah, like, for sure. I'm, yeah, I'm not scared of this in any way, shape, or form, so they want to give me $1,500. Yeah. I would have probably taken it anyway if you offered it to me without the money. So you know what I mean? Give me the money. I anyway. thought I was going to have to pay $1,500. Yeah, so did I, right? Yeah. <laughs> On the black market, like a PlayStation 5. Um, uh, all right, uh, let's talk about this one, because I was actually going to start the show with this and then decided not to because it felt less important. Because of Outbreak the, the movie. Because yeah. I was talking to you about Outbreak as well. So, earlier this week, uh. Warner Brothers Pictures... Decided they're going to send their entire 2021 slate of movies to HBO Max. Mm -hmm. It's an unprecedented move. Essentially, they're going to release all 17 movies they had planned for 2021 Mm. for 31 days on HBO Max the same time as they hit theaters. Right. Now, I think this is wild. Because for the longest time, I'm sure this is all in response to COVID stuff, but for the longest time, like... These movie studios were actively fighting against all these streaming services. Like, sure. Act- now, I'm, I'm sure that... I think Warner Brothers is technically, like, the owner of HBO Max, which makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these, you know, these movie studios are saying that this is only for the pandemic. But I wonder to myself, like, how do you put the genie back in the bottle after this opens up, right? It's simple. Just stop. Stop if putting your like- movies on your streaming service. I, I mean... Screw them if they like it. <laughs> yeah, you don't put right, it on right. there. You know what I mean? Like what? All of a sudden, the Warner Brothers company is like, you know what? The people would really like us to do it this way. If they can make more money by bringing them back to theaters, they don't care if people are less happy with the new option. That's okay. never stopped a corporation. But the alternate country. The alternate question is this: If people really love this, and they start making money of this. Could they just say, like, fuck it, we're done with movie theaters? Could we just start with real- Warner Brothers? Yeah. yeah. Not every movie studio. I've I've seen a lot of takes where it's like. The breathless, is this the death of movie theaters? Mm-hmm. No, you potato. Listen, here's the thing. <laughs> Warner Brothers is one studio. Does this, yeah. could this possibly change the way movie theaters are run, set up, and looked at, and shake up some of the hierarchy? Certainly. Mm-hmm. Is this the end of the movie theater in American culture? Certainly not, I think. Uh, do you want to hear the list of movies that are being released for people? Uh, yeah, I looked at it, but I only remember some of them. Well, Blaster, you just give me a or nay, okay? Okay. Suicide Squad. Matrix 4. Oh, man. I, I will have to hear some reviews. Dune. I, you know, no, you know what? No, because I never watched Matrix 2 or 3 either. How about the new Dune? Dune? I've never Dune. seen the first Dune. People get it. I think I'm a little too, like, I'm in a weird age range for Dune. I've yeah. never seen it. I don't get it. Godzilla vs. Kong, the remake. I know that I will see that by nature <laughs> of my friendship with you. I know at some point I will see that movie. Uh, Space Jam and New Legacy. Uh, LeBron, he brought you a title. You owe him at least to watch oh, his no, movie listen, once. Listen, one hundred percent. If you want to, if if this is your roundabout way of asking me how I feel about you know Anthony Davis committing for five years to the Lakers, <laughs> LeBron signing an extension, uh, bravo. But uh, yeah, no, that one. That's another one. That'll be fine. Who's that hmm. for? The kids. Yeah, I would see that, though. Yeah, uh, so here's the ones I that I wouldn't are... go to see that, though. I would wait for that to hit a streaming service either way. Here's a couple of the smaller movies. I'll just blast through these. Something called Little Things, Judas and the Black Mountain, the Tom and Jerry remake. Yeah. Uh, apparently they're remaking Mortal Kombat. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I had heard rumblings. Uh, there's a new Conjuring movie called The Devil Made Me Do It. Mm. Uh, In the Heights Reminiscence. And finally, the only one that I care about, The Many Saints of Newark. 
Yo, I saw that. I saw that one. Woke up this morning. Got myself. People don't know that's going to be the uh, the prequel <laughs> movie to Sopranos about young Tony. Just a quick side. Out. I've been watching the or listening to the Talking Sopranos podcast for months now. Yeah, it's super entertaining. This week's episode is about one of the greatest episodes of television of all time, The Pine Barrens. Mm. It's like two and a half hours. They got Brindi- uh not Brindisi, Steve Buscemi on there, and he's amazing. It's yeah. so good. Uh, all right, yeah. I mean, I don't know. All this makes me think is that we need to re re up on this HBO Max app so we can watch some of these movies. Like, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that we got the HBO Max. I know. I we don't have the login because of the the robbery. Yeah, I know, but I can't, I can't put it on the... You I don't, can't you I don't, don't have the HBO Max, so you can't J.R. Smith can't. with the play button. That's true. I Mr. Remote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we're running really long, so I'm going to have to blast through some of these stories. So um, anyway, I started blasting. <laughs> so anyway, I just came in there and started blasting. Uh, all right, this is from NBC News. Earlier this week, the House of Representatives passed a bill decriminalizing marijuana at the federal level, a sweeping mm. measure that aims to reduce racial inequalities and drug arrests. The measure would remove marijuana from the list of federally controlled substances and expunge federal convictions for mm. nonviolent marijuana offenses. Uh, it now goes to the Senate, where it is unlikely to pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I wonder at some point in time when they when this becomes so popular that even that they can't vote it down. Well, it's already that popular. It will be mostly, I feel like, they're waiting for uh, the various various corporations who would stand to lose money off top from some of the legalization of this. It looks like they're waiting to get a lot of business infrastructure in place so they can very quickly move over and corporatize marijuana when it becomes fully legal yeah. and stuff like that. So I think a lot of it is people who are, are you know donors and people who are lobbyists for industries um, – waiting until they can get everything sort of set up to take over the the bulk of the business and make the money and reap the rewards of this becoming legalized. But I think a lot of it, too, uh, for older folks, is just resistance and just an outdated mindset about, like, reefer. You know what I mean? Like, these people in the Senate, these people, some of the folks in the House, like, these folks who are in their 60s and 70s just look at it, just see it differently. They just, they bought that war on drugs, just say no, like Ronald Reagan, you mm. know, devil's lettuce, propaganda garbage. Yo, can can we talk for a second? This is just for you and me, I think. Can we talk about Matt Gates for a second? Matt Gates. Matt Gates was on the Republican side voting for this. And he took the, uh, the opportunity to give, like, some, like, very fashionable, like, 40-second, like, impassioned speech about how the Republicans are all, like... Performing for the cameras. Performing for the cameras, right? And I was, like, saw a lot of people giving him, like, credit for it this week. Mm. Like, oh, there you go, Matt. I'm like, don't let this guy fool you into thinking he gives a shit about you or Mm. anyone who doesn't look exactly like him. Just throw that out there. Like, this is all... You want a real one percenter? Uh, Matt Gates looks exactly, exactly, exactly like uh, a friend of mine friend of ours kid you know too from growing up uh, yeah. his mother yeah. looks exactly like it could be if, if you told me this kid was the lost brother in this family I wouldn't blink he looks so much like these people that it's unsettling for me to even look at his face have you seen the thing where they put his head next to Beavis and Butthead and it's uncanny like the the like no, the... I've, I've seen the one with uh, I've seen the one with uh, Don Jr. and Eric when yeah. they do that though it's pretty good uh, alright so and similar news mm-hmm. San Francisco Becomes the largest city uh, in the country this week to ban tobacco smoking inside of apartments. Mm. But pot smoking is still okay inside apartments. Good for them. Do you know the reason for it? I thought that was odd at first, but I read the reasoning for why they said it. Because essentially, it is the only legal place you're allowed to smoke marijuana. Mm-hmm. 
is inside your house. So the idea, it's, yeah, yeah. I remember reading this, being like, well, that's kind of, that's very San Francisco of them to like ban tobacco, but not marijuana. But like, it does make sense. Like, where else, where else do you smoke marijuana? You can't smoke it in the streets. Well, listen. According to uh, right-wing propaganda I've read on the internet, uh, everybody oh, no. in San Francisco lives in the streets. That's Every true. single one of them lives and in they the streets. Poop in the yeah, streets yeah. and stuff. Yep. yep. Nobody, nobody wants to be in San Francisco. California's awful. Um, man, I'm running long. Let's. I'm gonna blast right through the Trump World section. We're gonna go right through it. Let's okay? just jump it over. He's done. He's cooked. He ain't got nothing to say. Well, I just wanted to shout out this one. Uh, the person who I think maybe had the worst 2020 of any person. Mm. Gotta be Giuliani, right? Like, he had the most embarrassing 2020 of any person. He had Borat. He had Four Seasons Landscaping. He had the hair dye incident where it was falling down. He farted on camera. Now he's got COVID. What do you mean 2020? That was in the last four weeks. I know. (laughs) Everything you just said happened in the last four weeks. What an outrageous (laughs) run, though. Like, like, I really, like, every time you're like, oh, he's on Borat. It can't get worse than that. Oh, he booked the wrong building for his announcement. Oh, now he's got COVID. Like, oh, man, Rudy. I feel like Rudy... I'm surprised Rudy's alive. <laughs> I'm, like, shocked that he's still alive. Tune in like... next week, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, also this week, uh, nothing. That's it. Screw it. I'll move on. Yeah, fuck him. Uh, all right. I have a story that I just wanted to share with you because it made me... I can't believe this... I, I can't believe this is going on. Earlier this week, it was found out that Amazon had hired detectives from the infamous Pinkerton Spy Agency... To monitor European workers' labor unions' organizing efforts. Yeah. That's correct. The Pinkertons, who are union busters from the 1890s. Mm-hmm. Number one, stun the Pinkertons still exist and are still like a viable union Europe, buster. Europe, though. Europe, though. Europe. Europe, though. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No. Europe's wild. <laughs> uh, you know, stay, Europe, Homo Sacco and Vanzetti. <laughs> uh, this is my like, deep pull. Um, what a, what year is this? Why did does Jeff Bezos like? Did he just watch Deadwood and was like, "Ooh, the Pinkertons"? I wonder what they're up to these days. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. understand. Uh, also, it's clearly about 1933. By the way, like if I, you ask me what year is it, I look around. Yeah, about 1933, 33, 34, about 33, 34. Right during yeah. the Weimar Republic. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Stay tuned. Um, yeah, per motherboard. Uh, Pinkerton spies were inserted into a warehouse in Poland in 2019 to look into allegations that job candidates were being coached for job interviews. Okay, so I guess it's because I grew up with, like, a parent who was in the teaching union. People are scared of unions. People hate unions. People hate, yeah. Oh, yeah, people hate unions. And I saw someone do a take on this being like, oh, how come, you know, like, restaurant workers are still going in, but teachers don't have to go in? Well, because teachers have a better union that does, that takes care of them and, like, stops that kind of... Like, if, I wish waiters and restauranteurs had a better union so they had more power to, like, stand up. But a lot of these people don't. I never all, understood. I never understood, like, the, like, oh, unions gotta be, God forbid we care about workers' rights. So there's a couple of, so a couple of things. A lot of it, you're right, is that has been this idea, especially, you'll see it, um, unions are very bad for people who are the business owners. Yes. Certainly, because they, right. because it gives the workers power. It lets them, you know, if they organize their power, then they can't be taken advantage of by the people at the top of the company. Hmm. So a lot of money and time is spent pushing this notion on people, uh, you know, that unions, unions are bad for you. Unions just make everything bad. You have to pay these union dues. You have this union for all these people that are slackers. Now, as somebody, I used to work at a unionized workplace, hmm. and my sector wasn't available for the union. The union was for the people who worked in the more uh, plant, yeah. more like yeah, yeah, yeah. hard physical labor, assembly line type thing people. And a lot of these folks in the union, they would complain they hated the union. And to be fair, 
I have seen plenty of people in some of the trades people's unions and a lot of folks there. There's definitely folks who milk milk it. Sure. And they know that because of their seniority that they're pretty untouchable and they lean into that. And you're going to have that, you know, with some people that's just the way it mm. is. But at the end of the day, I also know that company, I don't know if that union didn't exist, those people would have all been shucked out of there 20 years ago and there'd be a, yeah. nobody would be getting paid anything close to what they get paid there if that union didn't exist. So it's tough. So I think for a lot of people, if you're going to say that unions are no good and we shouldn't have them or they're poorly run or they protect people the wrong way, I don't think the answer is to get rid of unions or to minimize all right. the unions. I think the answer is to get involved mm-hmm. and then and change it from there then. You know what I mean? Because we have to have protections for these workers because you're watching, you're watching what happens if the workers aren't protected. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're watching, you know. I don't know. I could do do 30 more minutes on this topic. (laughs) No, no, I'm just, I... Yeah. I I wonder, it's just something I'd notice, and I don't know if it's, like, been more of a discussion in the Trump era than it was before, but, like, just sort of, like, these, oh, no, you can never, no one should ever unionize. It's the worst. Like, it's terrible. Everyone, like, all businesses, no business wants you to unionize now. Yeah, yeah. No no business has ever wanted you to unionize. People, like, this is the thing. We're so far removed in our little bubble with our soft little lives. We've never faced any real, like, social adversity at all. People died for the right to be mm-hmm. in unions yeah. 100 years ago, 120 yeah. years ago. You know, people say, oh, unions are so bad. Unions are, you know, unions are this and that. Unions are the reason that, that we have the five-day work week, mm-hmm. the 40-hour work week. Unions are the reason that kids aren't working in factories. You know what I mean? Unions are the reason that people aren't getting paid pennies. You know, all mm-hmm. this stuff. So read, read, and learn more before you talk. Always. Always. All right, let's uh, do two very quick. Uh, I got one thanks, I hate it. Uh, this one goes out to uh, a sheriff's office in Alabama who earlier this week deleted a Facebook post showing a Christmas tree decorated with quote-unquote thug shots of apparent suspects that they had arrested throughout the year. So what was it, just like a mixture of like white and black folks that they had they Well, had there's gotten? a picture. Oh, it was all white folks? Was all- oh, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, it the wasn't. thug shots on the Alabama Sheriff's Department Christmas tree were not white folks? No, I don't believe it. Uh, oh my God, they must be very economically anxious down there. Uh, caption read, we have decorated our tree with thug shots to show how many thugs we have taken off the streets of Mobile this year. This was... Okay, yeah, how many of those people are for bullshit grandma marijuana pullover arrests? Here's... Okay, I always think about stuff like... And I, I know it's not the same thing, like police and teachers are not the same job. But I think to myself, if I walked into the teacher's room at like a, at like any school, and there was a Christmas tree set up with pictures of the delinquent students all over it, I feel like someone would complain about that immediately. It wouldn't would. stand, right? Yeah. So I always wonder with stuff like this... How far did it go? How long was this up, and how long did people get into this before they're like, oh, crap, like, Until we can't. people outside of it found out, probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is another. When you talk about unions. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, for the thug shot Christmas tree, uh, thanks, Alabama, but I hate it. Uh, and finally, our uh, Diego... Not thanks. I do not thank you, Alabama. I do not thank Fuck you, you I hate it. <laughs> uh, and this week's uh, Maradona Big Energy segment. Mm. Uh We've talked a lot about PlayStation 5s recently, about how they're really hard to find. You've talked a lot about PlayStation 5s because you want one. <laughs> this is reported from uh, Eurogamer. Deliveries of PlayStations, mobile phones, TV, cigarettes, and more have been plundered in recent months by people using a technique called the rollover. Mm. Okay? This involves multiple gangs working together in multiple vehicles, essentially to close in on lorries, which are traveling up to 50 miles an hour. They secure a rope, 
climb through the sunroof, make their way inside, take the goods, and leave. This is some Fast and the Furious shit. Like, oh. people are driving up to the side of, like, of these, like, trucks and ripping them open to get PlayStation 5s. Mm. It's, that's literally, literally almost exactly Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Fast and the Furious! When they were at, race war, when they were at, the, the, when they were at the, the race wars in the desert, which <laughs> now I realize... 20 years later, I mean, racing cars in the desert. Probably not the best uh, name. But yeah, they were breaking in and stealing DVD players. <laughs> Apparently, this has been used at least 27 times this year up mm. till September. It's estimated the figure has risen significantly as gangs work to make the most of the Christmas period. Tremendous energy. <laughs> Tremendous energy. So, robbing uh, trucks Fast and the Furious style to get PlayStation 5s. I mean, the biggest energy I've ever seen. Uh, good for you, I guess. Uh you probably go to jail, though. Probably, uh, probably, probably going go to jail. jail. Yeah, probably going to jail. jail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so let's get to this week's interview um, with our very good friend, Ron. He's been on so many times before. You know him from the Rome Sentinel. Uh, he's starting a new Sunday series in the Sentinel, which he's here to talk about. But I'm sure we'll get into lots of other subjects. Uh, this is probably like his third or fourth time on. It might be his, he might be his three-timers membership. i got to look back and check. Uh, so shout-out to Ron, and let's get to our interview with him right now. Do I turn on or do you? Yeah, if you'd like. I'm always happy to see you. <laughs> there we go. Let me get uh, that. Ron, how's it going, buddy? It's going good. I was a little bit late today, but I went back to work and got my headset. And oh, no, I love that. And I want to share that story with our, our listeners because I think it's very important. Ron is such a professional that he went all the way back to his work to get his headphones. You guys could get great quality audio for this uh, this interview this week. I absolutely did. You know, I, I use it so much now with all the remote teaching and stuff. And uh, I've, you know, I tried all these Bluetooth ones. So if people have a, have a suggestion of a Bluetooth that actually works well, please let me know because I've not been able to find one. So I have my old fashioned plug in one and it works just fine. I know it's pretentious and I don't have them in right now, uh, but I've yet to find a pair of Bluetooth headphones that's actually worked for me that wasn't just, I hate to say the AirPods, but I use my AirPods all the time and they work great. You know, they work good for the, they work good for the sound. I use them at, the, I, I use them at the gym, but or when I'm vacuuming, but yeah. I can never get one that like picks up my voice. Right. Like, right, right, right. Well enough for all these videos I'm making for school and for Google meets and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Ron, it's been a while since you've been on, and I did not get a chance to pull this up, uh, but it's definitely been since before the holidays. So I guess I'll start here. How was your Thanksgiving? Did you guys do, like, digital Thanksgiving, or how did your holiday go? Um, actually, what we did, uh, my husband and I, we just stayed home. We mm-hmm. live right next to right next door to our families, but, um, you know, it just wasn't worth the risk to take off my mask, and uh, so... 
So because of Thanksgiving, you have to eat, you know, we'll go to Christmas, but I'm going to leave the mask on, even with my mother, you know, that I live next door, door to because you just never be too careful, especially, you know, I've, I've been busy all day, but I don't even know what the county executive came out with today at three o'clock. I, I imagine it was pretty grim. The numbers. It wasn't great. And uh, essentially, they're coming back on every Monday, Wednesday and Friday for the foreseeable future is what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I think I keep saying this to people and I, I know I'm probably repeating myself to the listeners, but. I feel like we've lost the nuance of life, right? Like I'm not, I am aware that this is a deadly pandemic and we need to take it very seriously and need to social distance. And I can also right. think, oh my God, I wish I could get out of my house. Like these thoughts can exist at the same time. <laughs> right? right, right. It doesn't yes. have to be one or the other. Like, right. And I think that is, you know, I, I think you see it with just, you know, I, I hate talking about discourse, but people are just so like ready they're so pent up they're angry there's a lot of like bill it's all kind of coming into a big circle i don't know if you've noticed it i i have because i've been writing a series of columns about it and uh you know overwhelmingly the the feedback i've gotten has been positive but mm -hmm. there have been some people who have uh in publicly the feedback has been positive there have been a few people though who have like texted me and messaged me and said you know said things that like i'm spreading the spreading the pandemic and the you know feeding the fear and helping the spread the this 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 lie and, and, and it's crazy because it is it is so it, it it's so real it's so in front of all, all of us i don't know how people can continue to ignore it but they what well, they do so that's the that's the i've talked about this before it's going to be the big curse of this country and i you know i I'm not like anti-American or anything, by the way. I love America, but the American ideals, right? The American ethos is that no one tells us what to do. We we forge our own way. Right, right. And, and that mentality is tough for people when you have to think to myself, I need to do something to help other people, not just to like yeah. worry about myself. And that's a tough, it's a tough get for people to get to that place where it's like, it's not about me. I don't. Am I concerned that I'm going to get the, the coronavirus? I'd rather not get it, but I'm right. more concerned that I would get it and make my parents sick or my niece right. and you, right? It's not, that's yeah. the mentality that I think people struggle with, this ability to not be selfish. Yes, right, right. I think one of the other prob problems too is, you know, one of the great things about America is that we have freedom of speech, but yeah. it, there's no like, there's no law to make people be responsible in their speech. And I'll tell you, like a few months ago, back back in the spring, you know, I heard an old name pop up from the past, Dr. Ju Dr. Judy Miskovitz, mm -hmm. and with this video, and I remembered her from the early, from the mid 2000s, yeah. when I was first sick with chronic fatigue syndrome, she faked a study and she came up with these, uh, she she was doing what she's doing now, by she was spreading, dis, she was spreading dis, disinformation about CFS. Mm -hmm. She had come up with a study where she faked the numbers and she linked it to um, to a sort of virus in, in that was spread by mice. And uh, it was, it did an equal amount of damage, but to a smaller number of people, the people that have CFS. So she has this awful track record. So when people started to like send me through Facebook, you know, this link, watch this video before Facebook takes it down. I knew who she was and mm -hmm. I knew that she was a liar. I knew that she was very dangerous and that she would say whatever she had to, to get attention and to make herself look good. And the problem is, you know, like, it's so easy to spread that lie because it's what people want to hear 
but the damage but there's but there's but the damage that it does it has has to be paid by everybody so I, I ask you you know you you know you've been doing work for the Rome Sentinel for such a long time you know and I'm sure that yeah. we've talked about this before have yeah. you noticed like a a difference in the way people respond to you as a journalist today than four years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago? Well, you know, it's so different for me because I do my, you know, I don't, it's like I work for them, but I don't. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I do my own thing and uh, I don't actually get paid by them. So, but I'm part of the Rome Sentinel. I consider myself that. Um, So when, with writing a newspaper column, you know, people are, uh, people, the more the people read the column and know about me, the more, you know, positive they are because Mm -hmm. they know that I, I have my own unique style and, Tap, tap into the emotion of things and in in a way that I feel is deep and meaningful but that's also positive so um it's really interesting but you know one of the things that has bothered me about this since being in COVID are all the people that blame the media and really the media is just telling people the truth about it just like this yeah. the science you you know and it's like people have to know people have to accept the truth about this and the fact that they're not and that they haven't is the problem so well I think We've gone to like a strange place, right? You look back, I mean, even look like a movie like Spotlight. I just watched, I just watched Zodiac last week, actually, which is well, like these journals. Oh, yeah, movies, right, right, right. And right. Yeah. I just feel like we used to look at these big journalism and news houses as the people who could break through stuff. And I don't know right. if, you know, I go all the way back to 2016 when, when Justin and Kate were covering the Trump rally at, Griffiths, wherever it was, they went up there to, to do filming. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a candidate be like, turn around and look at the media and boo them. Right. This right. all feels it was really like scary. Part, yeah. Well, because it feels like it's part of a larger like plan to like disenfranchise people from, you know, it absolutely people. is. Yeah. It's part of a larger plan to 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 divide people yeah. by by uh, challenging the very idea of what is of what is of what is real, mm-hmm. and the people that are doing that in in dividing us, they're actually like destroying the bedrock of our civilization, of our culture. The things like the New York Times and the Washington Post and 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 the CDC and the WHO and the United yeah. Nations and science and everything that we're built on. There's 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 this movement, you know, in a luckily we voted that movement out of office, but the movement's still there and he's still in office till Jan- January 20th to just chip away and just sandblast away and destroy everything that this country is actually built on. And we're going to pay for that for a long time to come. I've seen a lot of people on the libertarian Republican side of things who have tried to convince me that like, hang on, this isn't, this isn't going to happen just right. yet. And that's the part that makes me like wonder like i wonder what happens after january 20th when he doesn't stand for another term when biden comes into office like right. will there be a a mass realization because i bet you there's not i bet you there's going to be a mass yeah. frustration or a mass like this is this probably cannot. yeah yeah. Right. I mean, just like the people didn't accept that Obama was the president, they didn't accept that they had a black man as their president. There's going to be, there's going to be a significant number of pe- people, I'm sure, who don't accept that Biden is. I think, you know, the majority will. And I think that things go in, things, things, you know, the, the pendulum swings and people will, by and large, most will come back to their senses. And I think that 
hopefully COVID will be a wake-up call of what happens when you stop believing in reality. But on the other hand, there's, there's always going to be just this, there's always going to be like about a third of probably of, of the country that's always going to be the ones who hold back civil rights and who hold back media and journalism and science and education <laughs> any positive thing and there's we're always we're always going to have to deal with that so well because it just I, seems I, to be worse late lately but you know well i think there's a I, I look at it with you see people talking about you know how joe biden might potentially uh you know fifty thousand dollars for student loans like clear student loan debt for a lot of right. people and i yeah. go back to this as a as a pinpoint argument right you have two people on the sides of this argument people who say i would rather that my kids and the people who are doing, you know, who coming after me don't have to go through the same things that I did and they had it better. Right. Or you right. have people who are like, no one should ever get college for free because I didn't get it. Because I didn't. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And right. And we know which we we know if people are like that, the, the types that are bitter and that are um angry at 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 the world and disappointed at the world and want to take out others, we kind of know what's, what side that they tend to uh, tend to uh, fall on. So. Well, I got to ask, you know, you, you've covered, you know, you've been paying attention to this Tinny Brindisi race. I know you've been sort of dragged through it. Did you, <laughs> do you feel like- I would say so. They actually quoted my tweet on Talk of the Town and uh, trashed me. So yeah, so yeah. I have been dragged through it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let me ask you the Talk of the Town. <laughs> well, I'm curious about that actually, because I wonder okay, so. like, you've been on Talk of the Town before. Right, you've you've been on the show. I was like an unofficial guest co-host. I was on it so often, but, so but no, not no more though. Did they not like assume that you would have something to say about this if they just went on there and trashed you, or did they not seem to care? Well, I what happened was I was the last time I was on the show was last Christmas, and after mm -hmm. that they would never they the the race heated up. And they kind of went all in for Tenny and they stopped booking yeah. me. And then before I knew it, I looked around and realized, boy, I've sort of been blacklisted by these people. And it was really strange. And so I've called them out on it a few, few times. And yeah. then a few weeks ago, I interviewed Luke Radel, the, the journalist. Oh, yeah. Uh, Doing great work. Yes. He's uh, at Luke Radel on Twitter. And uh, I interviewed him. And so he was a guest on Talk of the Town to talk about the column that I did. And so they had me on as like a sort of like a sort of snuck in the back door with him and did a little bit of an interview. But after that, it was back to the cold shoulder. So when it looked like she had won by 5,000 votes, I, I did. I, you know, I, I said this really and of course, she has. She had it right, one by right. it was is there red that red mirage. Yeah. I said so this really tests my faith in humanity because I've watched her campaign and I have seen the way that she has used and appealed to racism and homophobia and misogyny and voter suppression, voter intimidation, and even violence. And I said that you know this is garbage and so are her cheerleaders in the media and I name talk of the town is one of them and so so I, I guess <laughs> yeah I guess I didn't expect it but you know the but it, but it is the truth because I I helped to organize the one rally for Brindisi and they would not book me on the show to promote it and they had her people on it every week so well you know I think that's the if that's what I'm sort of talking about if you you're if you're going to take the side of Tindy on this case, if you're on talk of the town, yeah. it's, there's no like going back anymore. Right. Like there I is had, a no, no. I've had Brindisi on the show multiple times. I know him right. very well. He actually yeah. recognizes me when I see him in public, which means I think he likes me enough. Right. 
You're right. I'm already blacklisted. They'll never, Claudia Tenney will never come on the show because of it. And not oh, because right, I've right, right, ever, right. I'm sure that, you know, she would have come on anyway. Funny story, actually. I can't give you, my, <laughs> I can't give you my source because I protect my sources. Okay, of course. But I was talking to somebody who told me that a while ago they had tried to convince Claudia to come on my podcast and that wow. she was willing to do it, but her people told her not to do it. So I thought that was really interesting. That could be, yeah. That's, that's, that's either true or that's like her excuse. So <laughs> either, yeah. <laughs> and with her, it could be either one. So and I, and I go back to what you were saying. I yeah. think when I initially looked at the election results, the red mirage yeah. as we talked about, right, I looked at right. the number. I said, "Boy, twenty-eight thousand. Like that doesn't oh, make know. sense yeah. to me." And I, right. I could understand. And even if this comes out later this week that he loses by five votes, ten votes, I won't be happy. But I understand right. a close race in a district that's highly contested but yeah, if you told right, me right. within two years he lost 30,000 votes it would not have made any sense at all no no and, and it didn't make sense it didn't make make sense and, and actually it was something that people had said would happen yeah. on election night because so many democrats voted by mail so but you know i you know i i really um feel like the media should have both sides on and i i took that really personally how they treated me so and i still do and i you know it's uh it's really not fair and i i wouldn't i would not expect her to be interviewed yeah. by me and i would not actually want to i would not offer that to her but i was not expecting them to no longer have me on their show so well i'm sorry that you had to go through that you're always welcome yeah. here on the uk thank you you know that thank you. uh let's talk about something less <laughs> less dour a little uh, bit more tearful yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about your uh, your seven day Sentinel series, which was initially what you had sure. uh, sent me a message about. Can you share a little bit with our readers about what you've been working on? Yeah. Well, you know, first, of course, for two years, it was a Clinton record. And mm -hmm. then the Clinton record two two weeks ago had its last, is last issue. So because of, uh, you know, with COVID advertising rates are down and it, it was a free free paper, but they moved me up to the seven day, seven day Sentinel, which is pretty exciting because it's 20 five, 23,000 print copies. And so I began a series back, actually began it like before I realized that I was talking about how COVID affected the people in my town and how the people in Westmoreland were doing stuff to, uh, to, you know, to, to build a sense of com community and culture. There was a front porch project where someone, a photographer is going around taking pictures of families on their front porch. And, but, um, I actually like kind of formalized it into a series called Faces of COVID back in August where I saw out people who have had it because I was, you know, I, and still I'm hearing this and I'm so tired of people that say, oh, it's just a bad cold or my brother-in-law had it and and he wasn't sick a day or, or I know I had it back in February, but you know, it's like, I was so sick of the people who were saying stuff like that or people, you know, I was getting sent memes like with their show, um, more people die of cancer than like as if it matters you know i mean yeah. so you try to prevent both how how about it you know so I, the the car accident one of the one that drives me nuts people were oh, like oh yeah. i guess we shouldn't go oh, you know people put seatbelts in cars like bro if you get in a car if i get in a car accident my mom's not going to catch the car accident if I exactly bring right, right right and try not to get in a car accident try not to have the heart attack stop smoking yeah. you know it's like yeah exactly so i saw people out who who had it and i talked to people right from my town hmm. who had it and who suffer the long-term consequences these these are called the long haulers that have it um you know they they do get over it they get sent home from the hospital but they're sick for months later they they can barely walk or they can barely breathe 
breathe or they can't catch their breath. And, you know, it's like, these are the stories people have to hear because everyone is so quick to say, well, you know, I, you know, they're so quick with the stories of people that they claim had it or tested positive and never developed symptoms or this or, and, you know, I think it's like I interviewed Anthony Pacini a few weeks ago and it's what he said in one of his press conferences. If that's true, that's really great. That's great. You know, that you didn't die. It's great. You didn't get sick, but you could have people can. So we have to take it seriously. I, I know it's Monday by the time people hear this, it'll be Tuesday, but we're recording this okay. about five o'clock on Monday. I said yeah. to Kevin earlier, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for them to just say we're shutting everything down. I feel like it's coming any day now. Like, I feel yeah. like it's going to be here any moment. I'm shocked it wasn't today. By the time people hear this, it could already have happened. Do you feel right. like we're coming back to a large scale shutdown? I, I sort of, it's hard to say. I yeah, do and I don't. And I honestly, it's like, I'm not saying that we should have a shut mm-hmm. shutdown because I don't know if the yeah, who can afford it and if small business can afford it. And I don't think it's fair that Walmart's open and small businesses aren't. Right. And, yeah. oh. and I think people should have the choice. And I think that if you're going out and you're going to a store, if you can socially distance and if you wear a mask, I don't think that's a problem. So I, and you know, teaching too, I'm, I'm going to miss the students in class. I, I like the hybrid thing. And I, I'm not necessarily in favor of that. You know, I, I don't think that you should, I don't think it was wise. It would have been wise for me to go to Thanksgiving, sit across the table from people, even if they're my siblings who I don't live with and take my mask off to eat. So I think that there's still a possibility to have some kind of a happy medium because I mean, I don't know, a shutdown, it seemed to flatten the curve in the spring, but then the curve unflattened itself. So I tend to think at least we're, again, I'm not a perfectionist anyway, at this particular moment, I feel like we're getting to a point where they're just going to have to say, here's a bunch of money. Everybody stay home for like four weeks. So like, here's yeah, more I don't money know than we gave do. you the first time. Because right, right. I, my, my question is this, I think a lot of times. I look at what is going on. I see a lot of people say, oh, only this percentage of people died. Or only so many people right. died. Is there a number? Do we have to hit like a 500,000 people before people take this seriously? Do we have to hit a million people? Does it actually have to be a person in your family? Before I think it does. I think that's the thing. I, that's what I, that's what I think. So, cause the people that I know that in my family that, that don't, that don't believe it, that is the, the thing. The people that they've known who have told them that they had it or told them that they even were sick with, with it had such mild symptoms or none at all that it's convinced them that it's not a problem. So I think, unfortunately, sometimes that's what it takes to hit home. So, and with your conversations with people, you know, in your articles, what yeah. is the general like message people seem to want to get out? Are they everybody who I've talked to who have had it? The number one message of course is wear the mask. Uh, the number two message is just do whatever you can to keep yourself from getting this because if you are one of the people who get it, it can be physically devastating and you may have it for, and there, there may be, some of the people I've interviewed, I mean, they, they still haven't recovered, so. You know, it's funny, I, I think before, I was, uh, before the shutdown happened, I was finishing student teaching, we were doing uh, Global History 9 and, and yeah. that's where I was working. And we were doing the Black Death. And this mm. was in, you know, December, January. And yeah. I remember yeah. we were just starting to see reports come in on TV, on like ABC and CBS every morning about COVID and other sides of the country. Yeah. And it got to a point where, you know, every morning when I would have my kids come in, they'd be like, yo, Mr. Sam, 
can we watch the what, what's going on today with the COVID? yeah yeah and i yeah. remember the very last day i was there it was sometime like near december and whatever and they were and they essentially were like do you think this is going to come to a come to america come to like are they going to shut down the schools and right. it, even then i was like no i don't I know, that's I what I felt too. Yeah. So. <laughs> I know, then, right, right. So I feel like I've, I don't feel like I lied to them. I feel like I misled my poor kids being like, no, I think you'll still be in school in February. <laughs> it was uh, unimaginable. I mean, that's yeah. the thing, you know, it's, uh, yeah. And and I'm not saying at all people shouldn't live their life. I don't even think things sure. should be shut shut down. I, I think you should, if you're out of your house and with other people that you don't live with, you should wear your mask. I love that I got to, you know, in in August, we went back to Utica College. And I love that I got to teach in person again. And I loved every second of it. And uh, I think that I think people just have to be like more just more sensible, it's like keep the mask up over your nose. And maybe it didn't have to be like this. You know, I, it does seem like a little bit the Christmas shopping is a little bit too intense right now. People probably should maybe uh, space out their hours of Christmas shopping. But Black, Black Friday you know. is for a loop watching people on. Black yeah, like, yeah. Nah, dude, that's that's not the answer. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I, I I think that extremism is is usually always wrong. So I'm not an extremist at all. You know, I I my husband and I we got married during COVID. We went on our honeymoon during COVID. By the way. Thank thank you. <laughs> I I've, I finished my master's degree during COVID. I got a new job. I, I I taught in person during COVID. We we went to we went to you know. We went to Niagara Falls and we ate at Rainforest Cafe in, in the end of summer. And it's like, you know, I think people should live their life, but I think that you can do that. And I think that you can do that and still acknowledge that this is very serious and that it's important that you wear your mask, whether you believe it or not. And, you know, I, it's just really a tragedy that it's come to this again. Uh, and of course, folks, we're talking to Ron Klopfenstein. Uh, Ron, where can people... Uh, reach out, follow you if they want to follow your work. It's either, uh, well, there's so many ways (laughs) you can follow me on Twitter at Ron Kloffenstein. You can follow me on Facebook at be more Westmo. You can follow me on the Rome Sentinel specifically at romesentinel.com slash be more Westmo. Or now you can go to the Rome Sentinel and just go to the seven day Sentinel page. And I'm on the seventh. There's a box, whole box with all my stuff there. And, uh, all my back columns and you know i i'm really proud of the one that i wrote uh two weeks ago the last one for the clinton record that kind of summed up my entire time at the you know at the clinton it was very it's been interesting to me columnist because you know i've lived two and a half years of my life really writing about it in in public and it was uh i was i was not trained to be a journalist i have yeah. i'm an english major so but before I knew it, you know, I, I got this opportunity based, I got this op- opportunity based on press releases that I've, I'd written to the Rome Sentinel for mm-hmm. the Historical Society and for the Masons and all the things I'm involved in. But then I jumped into it. And before I knew it, I was involved in some really, some really, you know, heavy issues that I was able to handle. And I'm proud of that. And uh, can, I it's been back a great one, can I take back for one second? Because you said something sure. that I think is really interesting. So yeah. you were sending out work even though you didn't have a, like a job there. You were like actively sending out work and getting and trying to get noticed. 
No, just press releases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, because I'm the president of Westmont Historical Society. So I, for all of our events, I would do the PR for that. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the Westmont Mason. So I do the PR. Whenever I'm in a group, they have me do the PR. So I was just, <laughs> I was, I was sending out a lot of really good press releases with, uh, you know, my, I would really try to get, you know, try to get the press attention. So I would include quotes and, interview people about what we we're doing and add a lot of color and so when they were going to launch this paper nicole holly uh she mm -hmm. asked me if i wanted to have a column and i was like no i don't have time i said well maybe once a month and she said well he's got to be at least every two weeks i said all right i'll try every two weeks but then before i knew it i interviewed my first interview was with ryan quinn i mm -hmm. tracked him oh yeah ryan quinn I'm familiar because with him. he was from both Westmoreland and Clinton, uh, kind of on the border. So I tracked him down in Los Angeles and I interviewed him. And the Sentinel people were kind of blown away by that. It was so ambitious. And so I so I started to write the column. And then what happened was, I think that was the turning point for, for me was when this was in 2018, when um, there was a morning when people contacted me that mm -hmm. the KKK had been distributing literature in our town. And I suddenly became like kind of the point per person to organize a response mm -hmm. to, to that. So I wrote about that, which was a really heavy, heavy, yeah, deep, important thing. And then um, a few months later, it happened again and the governor got involved and then the media picked up on this. And so it was picked up by CNN. And then before I knew it, I was in international news talking about this. And it was a really, you know, it was an exciting time. But it was really scary too to be like internationally known as an enemy of the of this yeah teacher hate group. So I wrote about I wrote about that, like what that felt what that felt like week after week. And I wrote about how because of that I became more involved in um in my church and how that helped me. And so I think the column, I think that's the point where I really became good at this, yeah. and where I really started to get people to pay attention to it. It really where it became interesting and provoking and and deep so well, i love that that was a great story uh i want to let i have some lightning round questions for you before we head out today but i have one last okay. thing uh just because i saw you retweet an article on your thing a couple days ago um it was an article that i believe his name is iman handley did for the utica phoenix about the mba oh yeah yes um, right. and i've just noticed you've been doing a little bit more work with utica phoenix is that relatively new for you uh, well, with the radio station, yeah. I'm the regular guest on the last, last Monday of each month mm -hmm. at five o'clock. I'm on in, I'm in, I'm in the hot seat with Cassandra Harris Lockwood yeah. and 95.5. And so he, he reached out to me. We've never met in person, obviously, because of COVID, but you know, he's reached out to me for advice and stuff. Cause he's also like an indie journalist. And so he's like, he did that. So I, I like read it over for him and said, yeah, I'll, I'll try to get a, get it out there for you the phoenix has been good to me with this radio station thing so yeah. well, i think really that people like us like you like you and i and luke rado we have to stick we have to stick together and another person i think people should follow on twitter who's in really great work is katie aiello from character coffee she's made some really profound instagram videos yeah. that dissect utica politics and history in a way that's that's honest and clear that i've not seen before so I sent a couple of messages to her earlier uh, this week because I'm, I'm friendly with her and, right. uh, and she's been on the pod before, but I told her that those videos, I'm like, this is your new, this is your new industry. Like you, you, 
you missed on to something here. Like, I think you, yes, I told her not to run for anything. Just do that from now on. Maybe. You know, I think <laughs> that a lot of times we have more impact. Yeah. In the media. You know, I think that's what I found too, because I, I did run, I didn't win yeah. town council, but I became this, you know, much more impact with this uh, on a much larger geographic and much larger scale of being, you know, having once a week, 25,000 people read what I, I write and for her too. I think she can do a lot more as an outsider by just telling the truth. And you know, you, I, her, uh, the people that write for the Phoenix, Luke Radel, I think that there's this whole like other side of the media that is independent and that is investigative and that does it because of a passion for the truth. In that it's really, we're in a really important part of the conversation. Well, Ron, I appreciate you saying that. And that's very sweet of you to say. I, I don't think of myself always as that important, but I appreciate the work that you guys have been doing. And I'm glad that I can have a forum for people to come share their thoughts and their discussions uh, with other people. So we are too. Yeah. Uh, so, Ron, let's do a quick uh, lightning round question here for you. And this time I wasn't prepared. Remember last time you used to tell me what they were. So I had like 20 minutes to think about it. So th this really, truly, this truly is a lightning round. So I want to say, too, that I had a soap <laughs> opera question, but we won't get to it. So next time. Oh, no. that's fine. <laughs> General Hospital went off the air for a little while, but they, they came back. They, they were a COVID uh, victim for a while, but now they're doing the rapid testing thing. So they're doing their back to their scenes and. So. We had a whole bit about soap operas earlier because I was doing the show after I was watching The Price is Right and I was getting ready. So we turned the TV on mute. And then for okay. about 20 minutes, there was a soap opera playing on mute. And I didn't want to turn it back on because I liked the story better when I was making it up. <laughs> um, all right. So, Ron, give me, a, give me one book, album, movie, or television show uh, you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Oh, uh, let's see. Well, I would like to still, I still have to, to pr promote uh, Mrs. Am Mrs. America. I mm -hmm. watch it on and off. I, I watched when it first was, was on in the spring. It's on Hulu. And it's an important history lesson that is about women's liberation and uh, the backlash against it and how the, the haters were able to do so much damage to our culture. And they prevented women from having constitutional equality which is crazy and it's something that says so much about who we are now i think that phyllis schlafly is like the precursor to donald trump and i think to understand why we have all this hate and all this negativity and hostility you have to look back to the history but not necessarily the ancient history or the older history but the recent history a lot of it began in the 70s and built up to reagan and then that's where we really started to go awry so uh, Mrs. America on Hulu. Yeah, we I do. I'm a Latin American histories major by trade, so I have lots of thoughts about what what Reagan and Bill Barr did to us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, so I'm going to set up a scenario here for you. Okay. Uh, so picture it in your head. You are the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. Okay. You are walking down the ring to the ring to defend your title. The crowd is cheering. They're shouting your name. <laughs> Ron, what song? is playing in the background as you make your way down to the ring. Oh my gosh, let's see. How about New Attitude by Patti LaBelle from Beverly Hills Cop album from the Beverly <laughs> Hills right, Cop like soundtrack in the, eight, in the 80s. I've always considered that sort of like an anthem. I love it. New Attitude, Patti LaBelle. Uh, what's the first thing, the very first thing that you'd like to do when we get out of the COVID times and back to something resembling normal? What's like the one thing you missed the most? I have all my students in the classroom. 
Stevenson. That's what I want to do the most. Yeah. And also to, to have to celebrate Flag Day at our historical society. We have these wonderful old fashioned Flag Day celebrations. And gosh, I miss that. And uh, and I guess I guess I don't really have a last question. I just want to say I hope you have a wonderful holiday, Ron. I hope you guys you too. stay safe. Uh, and, you know, it's been a long 2020. And we really appreciate you yes. spending some time here with us. Uh, and again, follow Ron at all of his various publications. I will link <laughs> in book and stuff when we're done. Right. Ron, thank you for spending time with us here today. Thank you, Sam. And much like I've said to every guest who's been on here, I don't know how this works otherwise. So when I end this interview, it will kick the interview off. So I'm sorry that it's over. That, that's okay. I understand. <laughs> Ron, have a great day. And we really appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of the year. Bye. I mean, we are, I am dragging. You're out in your weeds. We are dragging in, in terms weeds. of time here. And full disclosure, you don't know how long your interview was with Ron yet. But not we a say clue. This. Not a clue. They so will know when they hear this. They'll know. We do not know as we say this. Yeah, I am, I am behind on a lot of stuff here. So That's okay. Let's run through these history. Actually, the history lessons are relatively short. I might cut the last one because it's not super relevant. Okay. Uh, all right. So on this day, 1775, I really like this story. Beginning on December 8th. Colonel Benedict Arnold and General Richard Montgomery led an American force in the siege of Quebec. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story. Mm. Americans hoped to capture the British-occupied city and win support for the American cause in Canada. Mm. Congress decided in June of that year to send two columns of a thousand men each toward Canada. Richard Montgomery proceeded up Lake Champlain, uh, successfully capturing Montreal before reaching Quebec City. Benedict Arnold led his men through the woods of Maine, approaching the city directly. On November 14th, they arrived in the Plains of Abraham, outside the city of Quebec, where his men sustained themselves on dog meat and leather. Jesus mm, Christ, 1775. Tough, um, tough. Uh, The hundred men defending the city refused to either surrender to Arnold or leave their defenses to fight them on the open plains. So Arnold waited for Montgomery to join him with his troops and supplies at the beginning of the December. Uh, the Royal Governor General of Canada, Sir Guy Carleton, had managed to escape Montgomery's early successful attacks. He snuck into Quebec organizing 1,800 men for the city's defense and prepared to wait out the Patriot siege. Arnold and Montgomery faced a deadline as their troops enlistments expired at the end of the year. So, so what a time to be alive. On December 7th, Montgomery fired arrows over the city's wall bearing letters demanding the surrender of Carlton. Uh, when he did not acquiesce, the Americans began their bombardment of the city. Uh, however, they attempt... This attempt was a disastrous failure, as on December 31st, Montgomery was killed and Arnold was seriously wounded. So the failed coup uh, to take over Quebec. I mean, Benedict Arnold, tough go. <laughs> tough Just go. Racking up L's. <laughs> racking up L's. Racking up L's. Uh, so yeah, I love I love American Rev. Benedict stuff. Arnold actually uh, client of Rudy Giuliani. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> on this day, 1878, Delaware becomes the first state to ratify the Constitution. Uh, less than four months before the Constitution was signed by 37 of the original 55 delegates at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, 
Constitution was set to uh, sent to the states for ratification, and by the terms of the document, uh, the Constitution would become binding once nine of the former 13 colonies ratified the document. Delaware was the first, and on June 21st of 1788, New Hampshire became the ninth state, uh, which officially ratified it uh, into law. The Constitution took effect on March 4th, 1788. Uh, since the Constitution came into force, it has been amended 27 times, including one amendment that repealed a previous one. Uh, in order to meet the nation, uh, the needs of a nation that has profoundly changed since the 18th century, it's very important that we should be able to amend the Constitution. I know that's mm. a dirty word. First ten amendments, obviously, the Bill of Rights offers uh, specific per uh, protections for individual liberty and justice, mm. uh, while a majority of the 17 later amendments expand individual civil rights protections, uh, address issues related to federal authority, uh, or modify government procedures and processes. Uh, all four pages of the original U.S. Constitution mm. are written on parchment, mm -hmm. and unlike ones made in many constitutions worldwide, uh, all amendments to the U.S. Uh, Constitution are appended to the actual document. Mm -hmm. So, some interesting stuff about the Constitution there. Yeah, Remember, yeah. folks, we're allowed to change it when things change. We don't live in 1787 anymore. Just a reminder. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I didn't realize this I didn't realize this was today until I started doing the research today. Today's Pearl Harbor Day. Today's, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. On this day, 19... December 7th. Yeah, on it's this day, it will live in infamy. It will live in infamy. Yeah, December 1941, at 7.55 a.m., Japanese dive bombers bearing the red symbol, the rising sun of Japan, appeared out of the clouds above the island of Oahu. 360 Japanese warplanes followed, descending on the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor. Uh, diplomatic negotiations with Japan had been breaking down already before this. President Roosevelt and his advisors knew that had an imminent attack from Japan was probable, but nothing was really done to increase security at this particular time. Uh, that Sunday morning, many personnel had been given passes to attend religious services. Uh, at 7.02, radar operators spotted large groups of aircraft in flight toward the island. But there was a flight of B-17s expected from the United States at that time, so there was no initial alarm. Mm. Uh, the day after Pearl Harbor, I'm sorry, uh, much of the uh, Pacific fleet was rendered useless. Five of the eight battleships, three destroyers, and seven other ships were sunk or severely damaged, and more than 200 aircraft were destroyed. A total of 2,400 Americans were killed, and 1,200 more were wounded uh, while they valiantly attempted to repulse the attack. I mean, most historically, three days after, uh, three days after the initial... All right, let me go back for a second. Uh, when they voted on whether or not we should go to war with Japan after this. There was only one person who voted against it. That was uh, Representative Janine Rankin, who was a devout pacifist. So at the time, uh, it was a 388 to 1 vote to go to war with Japan. Mm -hmm. Three days later, however, Italy and Germany declared war against the U.S. anyway, and the U.S. government responded in kind. So we could have waited a couple days, and they would have just declared war on us. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. I mean, uh, I think we've talked about this before. I don't know. My grandfather was uh, Pacific War duty for World War II, but he was a paratrooper. Did you have family at Pearl Harbor? My grandfather Your grandfather was a Pearl Harbor survivor. Right? We've yeah, talked yeah. about this. He yeah. was a Pearl Harbor survivor. Uh, he got used to have the coolest license plate. <laughs> New York State would give you special Pearl Harbor survivor license plates yeah. with like, extra stuff. And I think my Uncle Jimmy, who's retired Air Force, lives out in Sacramento, uh, is in possession of him now. But, yeah, he was stationed at Pearl Harbor on that day, and he was... Uh, he passed away when I was pretty young. Yeah. Um, right? Like, you know, I was probably like, I was 11. Um, and so we didn't get, I never got to like really discuss it yeah. in any meaningful way. But yeah, crazy, man. I mean, absolutely. Um, 
You'll never forget the date. You know that famous speech after I went on the radio and said December 7th, the date that will live in infamy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say yeah. about it, but Pearl Harbor, crazy. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States mm-hmm. were suddenly and deliberately attacked mm-hmm. by naval and air forces of the yeah. Empire of Japan. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we'll just do this one because I feel like it's topical, and then we'll move past the last one. On this day, 1979, smallpox was officially declared mm-hmm. eradicated. Mm-hmm. On December 9th, the Commission of Scientists declared that smallpox had been eradicated. The disease, which carried around a 30% chance of death for those who contacted it, uh, was the only infectious disease affecting humans that has officially ever been eradicated. Damn. Uh, Wait, how did they eradicate it? That's a great point. <laughs> Who did they use to eradicate the smallpox, Sam? Tell me. Oh, we'll get there. Don't Tell you... me. <laughs> well, let me give you a little history about smallpox first. Okay. Smallpox, or something that we consider similar to early versions of smallpox, ravaged humanity for thousands of years, with the earliest known descriptions appearing in Indian accounts from the 2nd century B.C., it's also believed that the Egyptian pharaoh Ramses V died from smallpox in 1145 B.C. Yeah, yeah. However, recent studies indicate that the actual smallpox virus that we are dealing with here in this uh, evolved as late as 1580. So it can go all the way to 1580 C.E., right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> a type of inoculation, which was including a small amount of the disease in order to bring on a mild case, was widespread in China by the 16th century. So the Chinese... Were inoculating people. Now, inoculation is a word that a lot of people might not be as familiar with. Um, what is, is... Are there any current medical treatments that involve inoculation for diseases that are available and recommended for people? Yes. There called, are. There, there are. Now, what do they call them? They're called vaccines. Vaccines! <laughs> Yes. What? Now, now you got to remember, Sam. I'm I'm an American, and I understand that I live under the reign of King Cuomo. But it's my goddamn right to get and spread smallpox to any of the indigenous peoples that are left. What's wild about the inoculation stuff? I get so mad from this I'm, era. I don't mean any of that. Don't quote me on that, and then just put that out. <laughs> What's wild about the inoculations from this era too is I've done a little bit of research on this for global history. Yeah, yeah. You got to think in this era, what they would essentially do is like find a dead body. Mm-hmm. Cut a small piece of it off, mm-hmm. and then cut a piece of the sick person's skin and put the dead person's piece inside and close them back up, which feels a lot more dangerous than a vaccine. Because it was. Because it's super yeah, yeah. dangerous. Uh-huh. That's what I, um. uh, as, uh, it is known, well known, that there is no record of smallpox-like illness in the Americas before European contact. And the fact that Europeans brought smallpox with them was a major factor in their conquest and the eradication of many of the indigenous peoples of North, South, and Central America. Smallpox was the leading cause of death in the 18th century, leading to many experiments. It was 1796 when an English scientist named Edward Jenner discovered the vaccine. Unlike other types of inoculation, Jenner's vaccine uh, carried zero risk of transmission, which was an issue that you would have with other types of inoculation. yeah, yeah. Starting in 1967, the World Health Organization undertook a worldwide effort to identify and stamp out the last remaining outbreaks of the disease. By the mid-70s, smallpox was only present in the Horn of Africa and parts of the Indian subcontinent. The last naturally occurring case was diagnosed in Somalia in 1977. Mm. Two years later, doctors proclaimed its eradication. It is one of the major successes in the history of science and medicine. Mm. But, you know, but fuck the World Health Organization. We don't need them for any of this shit. We don't care about any of that. Of course. Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, man. I don't know. It's such a 
it's such a weird... Who was the first person... Was it Jenny McCarthy? It was like the first anti-vaxxer that she people not knew? the first, but that was, was, that, was one one, the, right? that was one of the prominent people that kicked it over. <laughs> they kicked it into hyperdrive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, the last history yeah. lesson... The last history lesson for this week we won't do. Cool. Uh, but it was from 2004. It was the... That's deb- it. it. was the debut of Ocean's Eleven. We watched it earlier this week. Is only re- or last couple weeks ago. Do you have any thoughts about Ocean's Eleven? Came out on... 16 years ago today. It's a nice movie. It was all right. <laughs> nice movie. I think we watched Ocean's 13, did we not? 13. We watched 13. Yeah, yeah. Ah, they're all kind of the same. Uh, Kevin, I'm doing a little segment here uh, called For You and For Me. Mm. Okay? There's some music stuff I wanted to share with you, and I thought you'd have some hot takes on them. So this but, is for me and him, not for any of you guys. That's for you. Uh, <laughs> but then there's definitely some video game internet bullshit for me. Okay. Right? Good, right. good. So the first one, I found this list, and we can go through it pretty quickly. I thought it was pretty interesting. It was 12 songs that got Grammy nominations for Record of the Year, mm-hmm. but did not ever crack the top, the Billboard Hot 100. Okay. We won't go through all 12, because I actually don't know all these songs. Okay. But we'll start with a couple of them here. 1963, Happy Days Are Here Again, by Barbara Streisand. Huh. Was this one making your Spotify list this no. week? <laughs> no. How about Harvest Moon by Neil Young? Nah, no thank you. Uh... It's weird that this good Grammy. I don't. I don't know. It's I, a good song. I don't know. What am I? I loved Harvest Moon. Yeah. And now I can't listen to it. Huh. It's a little. Again, you know how I feel about earnestness. It's a little too. You have a really, really tough time with earnestness in music in your older age. That one's a tough one though. That one's yeah. super earnest. It's all that like when I'm still in love with you. It's just so yeah, yeah. over the top. People feel feelings. Know, That's what music's for. Uh, it doesn't all have to be post-ironic hipster bullshit. Let them know. Speaking of which, you two's Walk On, 2001. Uh, <laughs> Famous these, 2001 hipsters. 2001 hipsters. You know those bands like The Strokes, <laughs> The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, U2, LCD Sound System. Well, because All You Can't Leave Behind reached number three on the Billboard 200 as an album, but the actual song Walk On was not as popular, which is odd because I feel like I heard that song all over the place. I'd probably know it if I heard it. Walk on! That's all I remember. That's all I got. Didn't Uh, jog me, buddy. Apparently, Ray Charles and Nora Jones had a song called Here We Go Again in 2004. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember Ray Charles was kind of making the rounds a little bit. I feel like anytime you get something like this, like young musician and older musician do a combo, the Grammys Mm -hmm. love that. For sure they do. Because the next one here is Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, who Mm -hmm. for a period of the 2000s... That was a really good record. They, oh, were doing, yeah. they were doing a pretty good job, and I know some people that saw them live because they were playing like kind of the Mountain mm-hmm. Jam circuit and stuff like that. Uh, you know, uh, more recently, 2011's Holocene by Bon Iver, one of my favorite artists. Mm. But I'm not surprised that this didn't make it up the Grammy chart the, or the Billboard charts. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. Bon Iver is not a singles band. <laughs> I wouldn't call them. Certainly not. D'Angelo and the Vanguard when he came back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandy Carlisle. The joke. Is this someone I'm supposed to know? Brandy Carlisle? Sounds like an old singer's name, but it's like a new song. Yeah, I maybe think I'm... that's uh I think that's maybe like some country. I was thinking country? of Belinda Carlisle. Yeah. That's probably like yeah, that's probably some country. And then Bonavere again in two thousand nineteen uh. for Hey Ma. So there uh. you go. Bunch of songs. Hey yeah, Ma. Hey Ma. Famous <laughs> uh famous Cameron cover <laughs> from Bonavere. My question for you as a musician. Let's say you have the choice in front of you, like the eternal choice, right? Mm. You could have the biggest song in the country, mm. the number one single in the country, or your album gets nominated for album of the year. You can't have both. What would you rather have? I want as much money with as little fame as possible. So maybe um, the second one. Probably the second one, yeah. Because what is biggest song in the country? If that just reduces you to a little one, I wonder if you're putting <laughs> out if you're putting out a tip top album. 
you've probably got solid enough fans that you can grow that. See, I'd probably take that because if you're getting nominated for Best Album, you're still making money. But if you have a number one hit, you can live and eat off that for the rest of your life, too. Yeah. So, I don't know. Pro- uh, probably take the album. I haven't fully sold out yet. I'm not old enough to fully sell out yet. If I had some kids, I'd probably say number one song. I would say number one song because... My initial, my first thought would be number one song. Mm-hmm. Because it's like... You can make the rounds, right? You're trying to make the I want to make the rounds everywhere for once. Like, you worked all this time, and all of a sudden you got this hit, everyone wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, everyone wants a piece of you, mm-hmm. right? It's probably validating after all these, unless it's for the sure. first song you ever did. Yeah, for sure. But, then you think about the long term. What do you, like, uh, BTO playing Taking Care of Business for the 9,000th time at the State Fair? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, after a while, it's like you... Or, or I mean, even worse, because, like, BTO's got... Hits, you know, right, yeah, ...songs yeah, and yeah. fans that people know from a certain time. But, yeah, you think about a lot of the different, like... Uh, I don't know if you're Aqua, you play Barbie oh. Girl for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? It's or like, true. if you're whoever else it is like that. So you, you don't want to be a straight one hit wonder because mm-hmm. I feel like that leads to you doing like sad county fairs in 20 years. That's true. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It would be it would be cool to be nominated for album of the year, certainly. Speaking of one hit wonders, uh, Bob Dylan, Trailblazing Troubadour, whose songs have become an anthem. Hit him where it hurts. <laughs> civil rights and anti <laughs> uh, Widely considered one of America's greatest songwriters, has sold his entire catalog to the Universal Music Group. Uh, the deal means that more than 600 of Dylan's copyrighted songs written over nearly 60 years ago are now owned by the media giant. So what I'm saying here essentially is prepare to hear a shit ton of Bob Dylan thrown into all sorts of stuff now. Ooh, <laughs> Yeah, cool. Uh, Sound like Aziz Ansari underwater. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is a landmark deal, the sources told NBC News, and the sales price was somewhere north of $200 million, which oddly seems low. (laughs) Yeah, so go back and watch that documentary of Bob Dylan when he was back in the 60s and traveling on foot from show to show and talking about how authentic his life was. That's right. It's a far cry from the $100. I'm not saying I wouldn't, but I'm just saying you can't have both. (laughs) It's far cry from the $100 advance that Dylan pocketed when he signed his first music deal in 1962. Mm-hmm. Is music one of those things, though, where, like, you're getting paid for past performance? Like, you're you're, you're paying for stuff you've already done with a musician. Uh, like, some, sometimes. A lot of times. Right, Some yeah. stuff is not like that because, like, so, okay, so take theoretically, uh, take a band, take a band like Pearl Jam. Sure. Uh, Pearl Jam, in a lot of ways, gets paid based on past success, based mm-hmm. on, you know, 10 and verses and stuff like that. But Pearl Jam also makes a lot of money going on tour, and Pearl Jam is still a very current, good yeah. live band right now. Correct. And while they're playing, they might play a lot of older songs and stuff like that, there is still a current product that is for sale. But yeah, almost all of music is based on, is based off, you know, living off your past and what you did. You know, nobody stays putting out amazing albums for 40 plus years. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're totally right. Totally mm-hmm. spot on. I don't love Dylan. In general, same, same. so but and you know what? I'll to be charitable as well. I like to break balls about it because Bob Dylan is like one of those things where the people who love it get yeah. like, yeah. And you know, I know because I'm a Radiohead fan, so I understand. You know, <laughs> I get it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those. I've just never gotten that into it. I haven't listened to. I haven't tried to listen to like every Bob Dylan song ever, but mm-hmm. I've heard a good twenty or thirty. You know, and I've heard yeah. one or two. You know, albums fully through, and it's always been fine. And I understand why it was important at the time. Mm-hmm. But to my ears, it's just a little outdated. You know what I mean? Uh, all right. So those two were for you. A little music. Yeah. These two nonsensical stories are for me. Did you enjoy last week or last month's uh, Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. fight? Yeah. Slash Nate Robinson versus Jake Paul? Of course. 
Are you prepared for another one? Because it's just been found out today that on February 20th of 2021... You better be careful. Boxing megastar Floyd Mayweather Jr. Better be careful. ...will be fighting YouTuber Logan Paul. <laughs> Who's that? Who... Who's this? This is a bigger deal for Logan Paul, right? Of course. Because why is Mayweather doing this? <laughs> I don't money. understand. Money. How much money could he possibly get from this? Plenty. I mean, he's got so much money. I also think... Since when has anybody who's had a lot of money ever done a lot more? I know. I mean, I just watched his brother beat up like a basketball player. Fine. Wait, that's not the same. It's not the that's same not thing, the same though. Paul boy? This is a different Paul. That's a different Paul. This is his brother, the less good boxer, versus one of the greatest boxers of his generation. Oh, I thought it was the guy who knocked out oh, Nate no. Robinson. Oh, I no, was no, no. Say because Mayweather is a professional and he's a little older, but I'm sure he's still got it. But, like, still, if you get you get dogged by one of that man's long right arms, like, you. Here's my thing. When you say why would Mayweather do it for the money, my take is that Mayweather has absolutely nothing to gain mm. and everything to lose. If he gets fluky, if, if, if the Paul kid gets a yeah. fluky knockout on Mayweather. I mean, at the end of the day, Mayweather still have all of his money, and yeah. whether he can read or not is besides the point. But like, uh, that's that's pretty damaging to the legacy of a man who's never been beat. As a boxing fan, this doesn't do much for me. No, I'm I'm like disappointed that this is where we've come to. Give me Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder or whatever. Give me an actual boxing match. I could do with less. Like celebrities fighting celebrities, I'm I've already kind of burned out on this after one. Yeah, I for feel sure. like <laughs> it's not something that I like. I go nuts for. Like you asked me if I if I liked the Tyson Roy Jones fight. Yeah, it was fun because it's like fun to see a thing, and I just try not to like yeah. think about it too much or get too upset mm-hmm. about what it could be or what it all means. You know what I mean? Or like it's all oh, I don't want to watch these old men fight. I don't know. What was I going to watch otherwise? <laughs> no, I, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and this one's just watch for... the Office again. Like <laughs> this one is just for me. Sony Pictures has announced that they are casting the role of Solid Snake in their Metal Gear Solid movie adaptation. Mm. They finally found their lead, and it's my boy, mm. Oscar Isaac. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Uh, a silver screen adaptation of the classic 1990s video game Metal Gear Solid has been in the works for well over a decade. Uh, I have said, and I know you know, I don't really know what you know about Metal Gear Solid, the, the video game, but I will say it's one of the only video games I've ever played that I thought, they should turn this into a movie. Because yeah. it's really, it's a really good story for a video game. I remember, the only thing I remember about Metal Gear Solid is a friend of mine, kid that grew up on the street, um, he hmm. had Metal Gear Solid for what I'm guessing was PlayStation 1, unless it yeah. was Sega, but that seems crazy. PlayStation 1. So PlayStation yeah. 1, PlayStation he 1. had it, and I would go over there, and in much my tradition with games like that, I would watch while he played. Yep. So I was never very interested in playing, but I can watch it sort of as a movie, and I remember finding it to be really engaging and interesting and being like, oh, wow, this is awesome. So that's always stuck in my brain that I was like, this was a really cool experience from somebody who's kind of watched video games but doesn't really go past that. That was my old man. He liked that game so much that he would be like, are you going to play some more of this game? I want to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, it was one of those kind of yeah, things. Yeah. So we'll see what kind of like how it translates to a movie because it is a long video game. It's always the thing I wonder with video games. Mm. How you turn a essentially 30-hour video game into a decent three-hour movie. Sure, let's make it into a television series. less bottle caps. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Less bottle caps. (laughs) Uh, All right, uh, let's do the last two here because I want to get to the end here and I really need to cover this last story. Okay, Okay, cover it. Last week we did a doomsday report about monoliths. I'm sad to say that we have to do something we've never done on this show before. We have to retract a doomsday report. It turns out a group of artists has taken credit for the monolith 
that they found in the desert. Uh, also, I don't know if you noticed this. There was like 15 monolith stories that popped up. Because they everybody started doing monoliths. Did you see the wild religious people who went out there and like took down the monolith and put up a cross? Yeah. Because they... Did, <laughs> Because they're like, the aliens aren't going to take us. Oh, my lord. Well, because the monoliths, actually, a lot of people don't know this. They were the source of the 5G. It's true. They created the 5G. Well, I like that the first monolith that showed up, it was like really impressive. People were like, we don't know where it came from. It could have been here for 50 years. Mm -hmm. And then the the other ones people were finding are like shoddily, like, (laughs) stepped in the ground with like a nail gun. You you wonder, even (laughs) if it was like full on aliens, would people even notice this? You're like, all right, keep it moving, aliens. I don't know. Uh, All right. I have to... I got a doomsday report for you. Okay. It'll be quick. I love it. Pop it in and out. Um, they... I was reading how one of the most popular uh, commodities to trade... Because you know the commodities mm-hmm. markets where you can trade on futures for like yeah. oil and you know coal, various natural gas, things like that. Um, one of the hottest, hottest things in the commodities market uh, right now is water. Mm. Water being traded like uh, oil and gas in a commodity in, in you know speculation huh. for uh, the futures of a lot of... Makes well, sense. Third world countries, climate change comes. Anybody remembers the movie Big Short? Uh, remembers mm-hmm. the very impactful like words at the end of the movie. So here we go. What they said, you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have. To, I have to cover this story. This may be the greatest news story we've ever covered on this show. I'm not joking. I've been getting ads for those terrible hoodies too. Terrible. Uh, terrible. terrible. <laughs> All right. It's from the Irish Post. Uh. Northern Irish woman who married 300-year-old pirate ghost, divorced the spirit earlier this week because he was, quote-unquote, using her. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Unreal. They're always, always... Listen. (laughs) Ancient Irish spirits are always, always trying to use you as a conduit to return to the mortal world to finish what they started against the English. And while it's a noble cause, do not marry a 300-year-old Irish pirate ghost. Okay, so I just I'm gonna I, I gotta I gotta read this to you guys, okay? Amanda Teague from Downpatrick wed her ghost husband Jack on international waters in 2016, uh-huh. but they met in 2010 when Jack the Ghost quote presented himself to her. Mm. One thing led to another, and they were can't soon, do that anymore. No, soon wed. <laughs> it wasn't long before Amanda started to notice cracks in this relationship. Specifically the fact that he was trying to kill her by using her as an energy source. Quote unquote, mm-hmm. yeah. Jack was basically an energy vampire. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when we die, it's normal to stay in the earthbound realm for a period. But when spirits stay around too long, they need an energy source. And that's what this 300-year-old pirate ghost was doing. So, I mean, good for her. I mean, now she's got to go out to the cliffs of Moher and rally up the fairies. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's going to be a long spiritual battle, but you know. What an amazing story. This was the the highlight of my week. Um, All right. I would just like to take this space to say that healthcare is a human right and (laughs) mental healthcare is part of healthcare. (laughs) Uh, Quick bit from other blog. I just wanted to share this one with you because I thought about it earlier this week. my wife is pregnant with our first child. One of the lesser concerns that I have is how do I shape my child's musical taste? I know it's a fool's errand, and whatever the kids are listening to in 2034 will sound to me what Limp Biscuit sounded like to my parents. Uh, that being said, I'd still like to give him some bass in terms of essential listening. How do I do so? Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll jump on here real quick. All my stepdad had to do was play music in the house. And even if I didn't like it... Taking all the words out of my mouth. Yeah, even if I didn't like it, it would be sort of ingrained in me, Mm -hmm. right? And I would come... Generally, I came back around to like it. Now, 
I do think I care more about music than most people, just because mm. playing saxophone and guitar and being in bands and stuff. So, I love how you list yourself as a sax player first. Oh yeah, it's love that. that. So I started. <laughs> uh, but but what I'm really a sax guy. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is like even then when I my stepdad yeah, would yeah. play the Beatles and be, I'd be like, "This sucks." Put on Green Day. Well, so you know I mean? think I think that's I think you hit on a couple important things, and I think you have to in order to be that way, you have to be a genuine lover of music. You can't do it just because you think that like. If you use the band you listen to as a cudgel to prove that you're better, cooler, or more knowledgeable than people, just that, I don't think it's going to work to push that on your kid. You have to be right. a genuine lover of the music and have it around the house. I think about, I've read, being a musician and being interested in music, I've read so many, so many, so many different interviews with various musicians over the years, right? I listen to them on podcasts or whatever, and one of the things you hear from a lot of people like, man, when we grew up in my house, there was always music on. My parents yeah. were always playing these records and listening to this. And it would be Sunday and we'd be dancing and singing around. Or we'd be cleaning. There was always music playing. My parents were always really into the music they liked. Sing along, dance along, always having it around. And if you're somebody like that, I think your kids will pick that up. Yeah. But if you're trying to do some weird, like, all right, now we're going to sit down and listen to 2112 from front to back. That's not going to hit. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. so. Just have it on, have it around. The kids will soak it up, and you know, I, don't, I can't wait until <laughs> this is a rush household. We play nothing but rush in this you house. I mean? <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of which, let's get to the Spotify playlist mixtape mm. of the week. Uh, like I was mentioning earlier, so I saw it all over the internet this week. Spotify was putting out people's lists of their top artists of 2020. I was thinking maybe for the. Did you save that list to yourself? Did you save that playlist? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because I was thinking maybe I, for... Dude, I save so... I'm, I'm such a pl- slow... I am too, I, I save too. so many playlists. Uh, well, my thought was, for our end-of-the-year pod, we should pick the playlists for that one off of our list of our top 2020 songs. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, sure. So we'll do like a, a 2020 cool. wrap-up at the end of the year recap. with yeah. our songs that popped in for 2020. So, mm-hmm. all right, very cool. This week, I am uh, highlighting two songs. One is a new release from one of my favorite bands of the last decade. We don't talk about all that much. Cloud Nothings. Mm, your boys. Love Cloud Nothings. There's been a couple times I've thought about putting Cloud Nothings on my Uticast uh, playlist mixtape because I was listening to them. That's yeah. a band you got me into that I like yeah. quite a bit. Um, but they're always one of those bands where I'm like, oh, I can't. That's his. I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not, yeah, but you know, like, it's one of those ones where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to put the Cloud Nothings on. Uh, like, if you came in, you're like, yo, I'm, I'm putting this mansion song in here. Like, nah, yeah, bro, that's not your band. Putting on Death Loops <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and then the other one. Uh, is a song called Only You by the artist Yaz. Mm. It's an old 80s song. Uh, Yaz was actually a member of mm. Depeche Mode and then quit because the song was such a big hit. Mm. Uh, but this was a song that I was thinking about because I was talking about Sister Kelly, and this was the song that like Kelly and her husband got married to. So I think mm. about it all the time. Uh, classic song. You definitely know it if you've heard it. Talk about Ernest. This is a better Ernest song than Harvest Moon by Neil Young. So suck it, Neil Young. Oh, man. Um, you know what I think You know what I think my problem was with Neil Young? Not even a problem, because I like Neil Young. He's made a lot of great songs. But being a young Pearl Jam fan, uh, Neil Young was kind of forced at me, and I recoiled up from it a little bit. I'm like, oh, all right. I've been through Hollywood. I also, I don't care much for, for Crosby, Stills, or Nash. And the adjacent, no. the adjacent no. does shine through. I've... I have more respect for Neil Young than I do love for his specific songs, <laughs> if that makes sense. I just, I like Maybe this. I'll put Neil Young on the playlist this week. What's the the one Neil Young song that I always laugh about is "Old Man." Mm. That's like when I when I get drunk, 
and I start being a jerk. I'll start singing old man like Neil Young just mm-hmm. by myself. Old man, take a look at my life. I'm just uh, constantly. Oh, that song. I hate that song. I love like you. Yeah, yeah. oh, song. God. One of the worst. Yeah, I, I that. Shout out to Mike Kupiak who used to sing that to me when he was mm-hmm. also drunk. All right. Uh, shout out to Ron Kloppenstein. Thank you once again for coming on the show. We appreciate you. Hope you enjoy your holiday season. Uh, shout out to Heather Waz, who I I gotta check I gotta check in with her at least once before. You gotta check in with her. I gotta check I in with her once been before. Over here yeah. Every week, so much, all the time. Once we get that, uh, once we get that uh, vaccine, you know, dirty word. Uh, that's really it. Again, folks, Handshake City made Utica.com. Check out all the stuff we got. Uh, Handshake uh, City bundles going out this week, I think. So yeah, yeah flying out. Uh, and if Justin you some kid working super hard, super getting hard. together and put all that stuff together. And... Uh, that's it, folks. Uh, Sayonara. You will catch us here next week. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, take over the web. Sign our humanoids, keep it tight, Woodstock lives, tape machines are rolling. We will see you next week. We are desperately out of time here on another episode of Uticast. 18 shopping days till Christmas, folks. Better start now. Play my music.